0: Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host.
1: I am Drew. What's happening, Drew everybody?
0: This boo. Drew the Spoo. Drew the Spoo. I don't know. <laughs> it's just my natural inclination to rhyme sounds when I hear it. I, I, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I was a okay. bard in another life, so.
1: You are Albert the Quirt.
0: Yeah, Bert the Quirt, you know, feel the Quirt.
1: I don't want to touch that at all. I don't, don't know what it at. is, but I know I'm not putting my hands on it.
0: Sometimes when you wake up and you have that funny feeling, you've corded in your pants. It's okay.
1: <laughs> I don't know Mama, where that came from, man. Mama, but uh, I quirted
0: in my pants. <laughs> <laughs> Am I going
1: to have to edit this out later?
0: <laughs> no, keep it in. I want okay. them to know that all this right. is... Pure, unfiltered, unadulterated me. That they're just getting a faceful slash handful slash mouthful of just me right now. Unabashed.
1: Yeah, and because this is a podcast, they are also getting an earful.
0: Yeah. I'd like to think that my my whatever I'm exuding auditorially is so substantive that it's assaulting all five of their senses yeah absolutely if you can feel it if you can hear it then you can smell it and if you can smell it you can taste it and then everything else just kind of falls into place
1: that's true yeah people <laughs> can lick their audio players right now and get yeah. the full effect of albert in their mouths
0: yeah yeah sure or you know if we ever start a patreon that can be a, one of our uh benefits <laughs> <laughs> Pay a little extra. Get a little bit of a quirt in your mouth. <laughs> I still
1: don't know what that is, and I don't want to know.
0: <laughs> Anyways, so this week, it all sort of makes sense that we'd be so out of sorts and kind of mad, dare I say. Because this week, we are going to be covering Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness.
1: This is our autopsy of the latest Marvel Cinematic Universe offering.
0: Yes, this is the Strange Topsy, the multi-verse. The multi-topsy. Topsy. Multi-topsy, exactly, exact, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I like you very much, very good, yeah. <laughs> Uh This is uh, this is becoming the exact p- kind of podcast I've always wanted. <laughs> yeah, it it's just it's really just a brow. bunch of
1: it's a couple of <laughs> madmen just spewing yeah. nonsense, speaking off the cuff with no yeah. rehearsal whatsoever, no real use of preparation or notes. We're just completely
0: it's performative art, man. It's uh yeah, it's it's pure stream of consciousness. We're mm-hmm. we're maybe a step above uh what what's that. Saturday morning radio DJ Shock Jocks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Are you gonna be the Howard Stern of Comic Book Podcasts?
0: Uh sure, we can try. We we can give ourselves like weird uh nonsensical nicknames. Uh you know, like Hockey and the Bean. Wah 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 wah. Ooh, wow, <laughs> <laughs> And for those of you who couldn't tell, who who might have thought that we hired a sound technician to do all of that, that was pure me, baby.
1: Yeah, Albert is a vocal artist.
0: Yeah, I'm like that guy from Police Academy. <laughs> how many of our listeners will get that reference? I know, right? We I might as well be dead. <laughs> That's how old that is. <laughs> if, if it's not something that happened in the past, like, five years, then I might as well be dead, is what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, references... that reminds
1: me of the, a conversation we had earlier this week when we, we were talking about some recent comics by a particular writer that we both enjoy. And you said something that was about 15 years old, and I was like, wait, that still counts as recent? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I meant relatively yeah, be, in the, in the okay, grand scheme of
1: eternity, <laughs> it, it's absolutely recent.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. There we go. Anyways, <laughs> so on to our multitopsy of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I'm sure all of you are somewhat aware of this on some level. It's it's kind of been the big thing that's been uh, out in the ether. And, uh, you know, the, the next big thing that Marvel has been priming the pump for uh i don't know how excited everybody was for this uh it felt like from my general uh fingering of the pulse of uh the comics the zeitgeist that it it seemed like there was a generally favorable view of of this movie coming out uh marvel did people an adequate people were excited job. to watch it That's yeah exactly sure. yeah. marvel did an adequate job of you know teasing us with just enough to well, not us, but people just enough to excite them. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What about you? What were your thoughts of uh, the rollout of this movie? Um, you know, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, he I does. guess first of all, uh, we should clarify that the beginning of our episode here will be spoiler-free, and we'll tell you guys when we get into spoiler territory. Uh, right now, we're just going to provide some general uh, thoughts, and and I would say that... Uh, from what I've looked at online about what people are saying, I, I think even though it, it might have some uh, mixed reviews from, I guess, fans or maybe even critics, I don't really pay super close attention to what the the fans say unless they're just too loud for me to ignore. But in terms of ticket sales, at least, it sounds like it's doing pretty it's well. It's another
0: box office blast. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: I think, I think it's uh doing better than what Batman did in its opening so far, at least. Really? I think so. The no Batman.
0: Way. Yeah. No way. I, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at this.
1: Surprised by that. Yeah, this is the the Friday. We're recording this on the Friday of the release yeah. weekend, so it's May sixth, and I'm looking at Wikipedia right now. I yeah. don't know how accurate this information is because I didn't bother checking all the sources for the. The ticket information, box office information, but it says that the film earned $27.2 million from 20 markets on its opening day, surpassing the first day overall results of Doctor Strange from 2016 by 153% and THE Batman by 210%, wow. but falling behind Spider-Man No Way Home by 4%. Man.
2: So
1: I guess just in terms of opening day sales, it, it was pretty successful. We'll see how the rest of the weekend plays out. Yeah. So maybe but by the time people hear you, this episode, this information will be outdated. But you know, yeah, yeah. just in the moment, it seems it seems that people really wanted to watch this movie, man.
0: Could you imagine a universe? Speaking of universes, where like if it, if someone had told me twenty years ago that a Doctor Strange movie was going to be a beat a Batman movie in terms of ticket sales? Yeah. That, that's a that's a that's hard pill to swallow, man.
2: Yeah, right. I I would
1: not have believed that that would yeah. have that would have been a tough pill to swallow. No disrespect to Doctor Strange,
0: but Yeah. You know, yeah. it's bad. His hands Come are on. sweaty and he got no heart, he got no soul. He's a complete scrub. No disrespect to Doctor Strange. <laughs> 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 Gotta throw in
1: that Stephen A. Smith reference. <laughs>
0: Whenever anyone says no disrespect to anyone, that's the first thing I think of is Stephen A. Smith. Yeah, usually when somebody says
1: no disrespect intended, it usually means you're about to say something (laughs) extremely disrespectful.
0: Exactly, exactly. So I can't help. So if you're going to do that, you might as well just say the worst, most, you know, uh, elbow digging thing that you can say. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, top it off with... No disrespect. <laughs> you know?
1: I'm just stating facts, man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> he got no heart. He got
1: small hands. Uh, he doesn't have a post was... move that he can commit to memory, <laughs> that he can do more than two times in a row. Kwame Brown is a, an absolute scrub. He is a bona fide scrub. <laughs> no disrespect.
0: <laughs> but I yeah. I
1: that clip that starts about. He starts with talking about Kwame Brown's uh, basketball skills and his measurables and then ends by, you know, getting personal and and questioning his, his heart,
0: (laughs) but but no disrespect. Right. It becomes a character judgment. It's not even about the quality of his talent anymore. It's just like, he's not a man in my eyes, but you know, uh, no disrespect. (laughs) Oh man. If every interaction was, that like simple yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah but anyways yeah it's the idea that uh a doctor strange movie who would uh overtake a batman movie like it which really in a i guess there's no other word for it but like a marvel age of of movies you know that they can just dominate like that with yeah with doctor strange you know yeah uh had this been 20 years ago Nobody really would have knew who Dr. Strange was, Uh, whereas Batman was just, he's Batman.
1: Yeah, pretty as close to a household name as a superhero character can be.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, going into this, there was definitely a lot of fanfare. Marvel, whoever Marvel hired for their uh, entire marketing team, they they knew exactly what they had to do to gin up excitement for this, uh, to to the degree where they were able to get, uh, you know, non-comic book people to be excited for it.
1: Yeah, it's also kind of strange that it seems that the multi the concept of the multiverse has been becoming more popular in pop culture lately. Yeah. It feels yeah. like. So it, it is also serendipitous. And I think No Way Home probably uh, wet people's appetites as well. You know, that seeing yeah. that made people more excited to see more multiversal Marvel yeah. stuff. And well, I guess even the TV yeah. shows with, like, Loki and whatnot.
0: Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's... I feel like we're in the fan service age of marvel cinematic movies yeah um, whereas whereas the earlier movies was about were about introducing the characters and you know even the universe as a whole to the general public uh you could say that the earlier phases had done that job successfully and now that we've they've laid the foundation for this lore it's about we're we're kind of in, in the next phase of that we're in the phase where we're just constantly tickling and teasing people with nothing mm-hmm. short of gimmicks essentially you know yeah uh, yeah and, in gimmicks. a lot of ways it, yeah
1: yeah in a lot of ways i think that makes the mcu start to reflect comic books even more absolutely, absolutely. superhero comics it, it's that whole idea of Taking advantage of the audience you've already got, you know, you want them. Yeah. You're trying to. They're trying to get people to double dip into their, their well, you know, instead yeah. of really providing something new or particularly creative. They know what the general yeah. populace enjoys, yeah. and they're just feeding it to them in heavy dosages.
0: It it made me think of our previous podcast in the earlier in in the past two weeks when we were doing the stan lee podcast and so much of that was about how his contribution to comics was actually uh that the cultivation of this idea of a shared universe Mm -hmm. i mean i wouldn't say i that that's entirely him but it was a big part of what his contribution was was that Mm -hmm. he knew how to be this carnival barker who could sell you on this idea but he also knew how to game the existing properties that he did have in such a way that it just kind of tickled the most base instinct within you within the fandom so that it just kept them coming back for more and i think we're in yeah we're exactly it sort of makes it's interesting that we did those two podcast episodes and how much it coincides with what we're seeing in this recent iteration of the recent phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, for, first of all, I got to say it is it is kind of funny that we did an episode on Stan Lee and then an episode on Kirby, on Jack Kirby. And then even though this isn't really a Steve Ditko episode, Doctor Strange is, you know, one of Ditko's top two most famous creations right so yeah. it, i guess there is some kind of like fitting poetic justice to to that well maybe not justice because
0: because <laughs> we're not really talking about him <laughs> yeah we not, should, we should probably the, should do a ditko episode level.
1: for real one day but but uh yeah. you know it we can't let this episode go by without mentioning the creator of dr strange steve ditko
0: absolutely not yeah uh, and, I, and then, yeah,
1: secondly, going back to what you said about Stan Lee being one of the people responsible for crafting this concept of the shared universe, that really is what we're seeing in yeah. uh, these Marvel movies with with trying to make people feel like they're missing out if they don't watch every single movie or every single Disney yeah. Plus streaming show yeah. or whatever the case may be in the future, right? Like, it, there's always this sense that for people who have watched a few of these Marvel movies, they're left with the sense, oh, I'm not getting the entire story, so I've, I've yeah. got to watch all of these other ones. And yeah, it reminds me of how, I guess they, well, they still do it in comics today. There was a period when they kind of slowed down doing this, but uh, back in Stan Lee's era and up to today, you know how they would tell these stories, and then the characters would make a reference to something. There'd be an asterisk in their word yeah, balloon. Yeah, yeah. And then there'd be a little yeah. box at the bottom of the panel to tell you uh, to refer to some other comic, like. You know, you, you've got like the Hulk showing up in yeah. an issue of Fantastic Has Four. I've
0: seen an issue 51. Of yeah, yeah, like,
1: Spider-Man. Check out his last adventure in, in in Avengers number seven or whatever it was. You know, it's like i it, Stan,
0: Excelsior.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's it's a lot of winking to the to the audience yeah. and telling them that if they want to get the whole story, they got to watch
0: yeah
1: the, all the movies or they got to read all yeah. the comics to it's get the full like, picture.
0: It's like yeah, exactly. It's like these are chapters these are just chapters in one long sprawling saga. So if you put them all together and you read them consecutively, then then you'll it'll make sense, you know?
1: <laughs> Which is complete and utter bullcrap because it, is, it the, is the story still makes sense even without reading Any, every anytime single time.
0: Anyone makes an argument where you have to like read all this other stuff in order to "Quote unquote," make sense of it. That's it's a yeah. If you have to material. do that, yeah,
1: yeah. Or or if you have to do that, that's a bad story.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. A, a good story should be able to stand on its own, and I shouldn't need all that other stuff. Don't don't get me wrong. As as someone who's well adept in comic books and who's who's, who's deeply mired in that culture. I it's not like I don't get my enjoyment from that sort of thing, but
1: I think you get even more enjoyment from yeah. disrespecting something that a lot of people enjoy. <laughs> well,
0: <laughs> I was going to say, I think standing on it on the other side of it, having come through on the other side, I I also see uh, like, I can also see the horizon and I can see how it has the potential for a lot of burnout and, after a while, there's a likelihood that people will just be like, you know what? If I have to read all this in order to make sense of it, if those are my only choices, then maybe it's just better off that I don't read it at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And 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 that's what we saw happening in comics. Uh, once once they primed that pump for so many years, to, uh, for so many years, after a while. That, that sense of titillation, that nerve is just dead, and there's really you know no way to uh, reinvigorate that. people people get tired, you know you can't keep them uh, on 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 a heightened sense of excitement for too long. People need these breaks. they need to be able to pick and choose the best material out of all of it and I, I can see that happening to these movies as well. If it hasn't already started happening, that is.
1: Yeah, I think I, th- I think that's what I was thinking about 15 movies ago. But apparently, Doctor Strange is still doing really well. Yeah, yeah. And this is like yeah. the 28th MCU movie, so it. Yeah, I don't. I I really don't know how the how successful the future will be, but it, it doesn't seem yeah. like there's been real indications of things slowing down too much
0: yeah and speaking of the like if if we're you know railing against the fan service element it's hard not it's hard to pretend like the fan servicey element of this movie wasn't a huge part of what the draw of it was
2: yeah yeah
0: you know like i i can't disassociate this movie from the fact that there was a campaign to uh build momentum and excitement behind it by leaking uh tiny details to the point where people where the masses were just chomping at the bit to try to find out every little thing and try to look at all the clues and figure out what everything meant and whose voice that was and who we were going to see and what does that mean for the bigger universe it's clearly working for them Mm -hmm. for now
1: yeah and i think even if it continues to to work in terms of their financial success there there is a part of me that wonders how it's going to affect the stories in terms of just being overly convoluted at some point because that's what happens to comics when you try to make everything fit together and tie everything in together and yeah you know, like this this universe, this shared universe gets pretty big once it starts having a bunch of different franchises that all have their own sequels and supporting casts. and if you're trying to tell if you're trying to sell the audience on the idea that every individual movie or every every single franchise that they create is all one gigantic marvel story that's i don't know man that that starts to lose its appeal to me just because we've read so many comics that we're at the point where we just kind of pick and choose the things that seem interesting or the things that yeah are done uh, by creators that we appreciate the whole way that mcu is going it it's it's really leaning like you said it's really leaning into this fan servicey element and i don't i don't particularly care for it i know it could sound weird because we do a po- comics podcast so on some level we are fans we're definitely fans of comics but this isn't the kind of thing that draws me in personally, you know, like the whole the whole uh all the teasers and stuff that they did to make people on social media go nuts. That did nothing mm-hmm. for me. If anything, I just had disdain for it. And I went into this movie expecting it to be pretty crap just because I knew people yeah. were excited about it. And it, it's hard for me to you know how some people say sometimes they get overhyped or sometimes they get disappointed when people overhype movies to them. I think, mm-hmm. I think I have like the opposite problem where whenever people like are excited about something, I'm I'm
0: I'm ready to crap <laughs> on it. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I certainly think that, that that quality of your character has rubbed off on me, because uh, <laughs> there there's certainly. There are certainly my fair share of movies where I feel that way towards um yeah i I think I think going into Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, there was a part of me that <clears throat> wanted to hate it certainly I certainly hated it for the things that other people were in love excited with, it for, about. yeah, without having even seen it yet, so yeah. I was already uh hesitant to to throw my weight in with with it Mm -hmm.
1: yeah well having said that overall what were your thoughts on the movie we watched it last night on thursday Uh, night so we had a little bit of time to sit on it and digest it a little bit what are your thoughts on it now um your spoiler free impressions
0: Right, right. I'm, I'm mulling my words and I'm digging deep in order to find my inspiration. I find um, it
1: amusing that when I ask you a question about a comic book movie, you spend a lot of time pondering and considering your words. But at the beginning of this recording, you were pretty free flowing and <laughs> just
0: unabashed id. Well, here's the thing. When we're just in general conversation, I don't really have to take into account that we're recording what we're saying. So how it sounds isn't really a concern of mine at that particular moment in time. But seeing as how we're being recorded and theoretically people will listen to us, I'd like to produce something that isn't painful to listen to. So it's not really quite so much about the content of what I'm about to say as much as it is the phrasing of what I'm going to say. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to make it sound presentable. There you um, go. Insight
1: into the mind of a podcaster.
0: It's not really much, but sure. What I was going to say was, uh, so when we watched The Batman, well, walking out of the theater, I was in was a place where I had, I walked into it wanting to hate it, and I walked out of it, feeling pretty much justified in my hate of that movie. I, I certainly <laughs> didn't enjoy it uh, on the same level that most people did, mm-hmm. but I looked to you and you were, you said something to the effect of it was better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, let me clarify. I'm pretty sure you still hated it too, but.
1: Yeah. I, th- I think you know. if we <laughs> review the the audio of yeah. our Batman Autopsy I'm pretty sure I said I didn't like the movie.:
0: Yeah, but it but that statement always stuck with me, just because I don't know, may, maybe it still left the door open for some sort of some kind of compliment to give that you could give that movie. So
1: I walked and- in there expecting to get kicked in the nuts 20 times. And I only got kicked two times,
0: in the right nut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, yeah, I was gonna say, I but I think that's that. That was my feeling. Walking out of this movie was, I don't think it was as bad as I thought as it was going to be. Um, I agree with
2: that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think he okay let me let me clarify just how my thought process works it i was mulling it over yesterday trying to trying to make sense of why i felt the way i did about this movie and i think and this might be a dumb reason so you know if 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 it is then so be it but i think for me it's it's that quality of escapism where as I'm watching it, how many times am I going to crook my head as I'm watching it, as I'm immersed in this experience? Mm-hmm. How, how many times am I going to go? Wait, that doesn't make sense. Or wait, what just happened? What's that? <laughs> you know? Just yeah. All those little moments, and for me, those. I'm sure there are stories where I can overlook those sort of things, but there's there's definitely a a limit to that you know where mm-hmm. once that happens so much it's just like i i can't ignore it any longer it's it's just yeah it's, it's this is just stupid or or whatever yeah. and i didn't really feel like i got too much of that coming out of doctor strange and the multiverse of madness if i had to be perfectly honest I mean, it's not anything particularly inspired, maybe, or uh, you know, avant-garde or whatever. But right. uh, it, in terms of if if you hold a movie to its most bare minimum uh, threshold for success, being that I was able to lose myself and not think about it for you know, whatever the runtime of the movie was, then this movie did that for me.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's impressive because I checked my watch a few times.
0: Really? Okay. Yeah, I did. Uh. Well, I think towards the end, I did check my watch, but yeah. Uh, anyways. Yeah. Good. Well, uh, yeah, that's, that's my yeah. general impression.
1: Mm-hmm. I th- I think my impression was pretty similar too, because I went in there expecting to hate it, just because, like you said, the all the talk around the movie and the fanboy kind of uh, expectations for what characters would show up in cameos or whatever, because, you know, the multiverse is clearly in the title, so there's some expectation that we were going to see versions of characters that we recognize and we want to know who's going to play them. Or, you know, I don't, by we, I mean fanboys. I, I didn't particularly get excited about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh,
1: it, it was one of those things where, because we had seen No Way Home and we experienced that level of fan service there, it, it kind of made me, feel like i had to brace myself for this one because as the as the follow-up to no way home i was just thinking oh man what if they lean even more into the fan service for this one yeah yeah but exactly you know walking out of the movie i guess i was kind of surprised how much i i was surprised at how i didn't hate it as much as i thought i was gonna i mean actually i would say i I didn't even hate it like i wouldn't i wouldn't say i loved it or anything but i thought it was decent honestly yeah like there were there were elements of it that entertained me yeah but on the other hand i think there were also elements that left me kind of cold and as i mentioned i I was checking my watch a few times I, i did feel bored uh because of I don't know, just certain things in the movie didn't really grab my attention. Like, Mm -hmm. without getting super specific, I would say that there are elements in the movie that I particularly enjoyed stylistically. Um, I don't think this is really a spoiler, but just the idea of of Sam Raimi making a movie, a superhero movie that kind of leans more into his is a horror style of background of of movies cuz you know he he's worked on like what uh like army of darkness and and stuff like that right yeah and and what was
0: that first movie something dead uh uh the evil dead evil dead there we go
1: yeah yeah and i was kind of surprised that he used some of those stylistic ele- te- techniques or elements in in this movie which makes sense because Doctor Strange does deal with occultish kind of things. And, uh, you know, we saw a movie trailer or a commercial where he's fighting a tentacle creature that looks exactly like Shuma but apparently isn't actually Shuma <laughs> <laughs> That
0: in and in, in it of itself was a ding against the movie.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know, I did look into it a little bit and I, I learned that the reason why that creature wasn't called Shuma was because... Another company actually owns the rights to the name Shuma Gorath. Really? Yeah.
0: There was a company that happened to create something that just happened to share that particular name?
1: <laughs> so I think it's because Shuma first appeared in a story. Well, it was a comic, I believe, a comic book story uh, based on a Robert E. Howard property. So I, I believe, I don't think it was Conan. I, th- I want to say it was called The Conqueror. But that's a that was a Robert E. Howard property and when Marvel had the license to the Robert E. Howard stuff back in like the I don't know 70s or 80s they created shuma Gorth as a character or a monster that call fought in the comic but I guess because it appeared in that comic the people that own the rights to the character were the people that own the rights to the Robert E. Howard stuff Whoa.
0: So does that mean we're never going to see a cinematic Shumagorath?
1: Well, here's the other thing: it, Marvel is owned by Disney, and Disney and Marvel did get the rights back to the Conan stuff, yeah. uh, You know, fairly recently, a couple of years ago. So it it doesn't seem like it's out of the question to regain Shumagorath, but right. Also it kind of feels like if Marvel or if Disney or Marvel studios had asked the rights holders, they probably would have had enough money to use the name.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. But you know how Marvel is about paying people or Disney, you know, they don't care about that stuff.
0: Yeah. They're stingy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's why we yeah. ended up with Gargantos instead, which is lame.
0: Yeah. It's nowhere near as cool as Shumagorath. Yeah. I don't respect that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: anyway, that was a pretty long tangent to go on and talk about
0: a character <laughs> that nobody else cares about. <laughs> look, people obviously care enough about him. He was in Marvel vs Capcom, so yeah he he exists in in the zeitgeist,
1: totally, man. I mean, that's how I discovered him playing those Marvel vs Capcom games, and you know Capcom is a Japanese game developer. And they love their tentacles. (laughs) That's probably why he was in the game in the first place.
0: Ooh, I'm not touching that. (laughs) All right, I'm not going down that rabbit hole. (laughs) Uh,
1: But anyway, what I was saying earlier before we went on this tangent on Shuma Gorath, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, if it had leaned in on those horror uh aesthetics for a greater deal of the runtime i think i would have been more into it yeah
2: yeah but
1: it goes back to what we often criticized about the different marvel movies which is anytime they get a director who has a distinctive style it always gets kind of buried in the marvel studios house style yeah right it's it's like when you read marvel comics and you definitely can recognize there's a specific kind of style across most of their books. And when you find a book that has an offbeat style, those are usually the books that end up standing out.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like the superhero comic or the superhero aspect of it comes before any of the other, uh, mm-hmm. uh what's called, any of the other um, trappings that they might, be trying to put on the film so um so in this case they were trying to do their version of a horror film but first and foremost it had to be a superhero film and yeah it constantly reminds you of that and the marvel studios superhero film exactly exactly and i'm with you in the sense that if they had just flipped the script on that and if they had decided to do a horror movie where the superhero elements of it were secondary to the horror elements, that would have been far more unique and far more interesting to watch. Exactly. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Yeah. If it had been more of a horror movie from the very start to the very end, I I would have, I would have been, it would have blown my mind. I would have been really impressed by that. Well, not really impressed, but more impressed by that.
1: We would have been impressed. Yeah. Yeah. Instead we ended up with the typical, people uh, floating around shooting blasts of CGI at other CGI objects. So it's, yeah, it's, it's always, it always gets drowned out in the, in the blockbuster spectacle, which is kind of, kind of to be expected, but nonetheless, it's, well, in my mind, it's, it's still a problem, even if it is to be expected.
0: Yeah, it's, it's kinda of what we were talking about with something like Shang-Chi, where they could have made it a Kung Fu movie first and foremost and a superhero movie second, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. And because they made it they they decided to mold it after more of a traditional superhero, it really didn't feel like it lost whatever was supposed to make Shang Chi special or unique. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And absolutely and, correct.
0: Yeah, and it's just something we're going to see over and over again um
1: yeah yeah we you know same thing happened when we saw Eternals you know Chloe Zhao was a pretty big name is a pretty big name as a director and she does have a distinct style in her films but uh the Marvel movie you could still see like hints of her style or her signature in it but uh it was still kind of overtaken by the general Marvel Studios house style you know
0: yeah yeah the the underlying idea that, well, these are superheroes. You know, we we're we're trying to tell stories about gods, but you know, don't forget these are superheroes, and people love their superheroes, so they got to do superhero things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: But yeah, w- overall, I-, I would say it it was a decent movie. I, I enjoyed it for what it was. I probably yeah. won't watch it again anytime soon. There yeah. were, yeah, there were a couple of surprising things that that did happen that we'll talk about when we get into the spoilers. But yeah, overall, I guess how did the how would the kids say it, man? Like kids today, what? when they talk about Is something it like this, it, nah, it was lit. <laughs> that 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 means it was cool, right? Yeah. I, 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 I mean,
0: guess, I don't know what you're asking, so I'm just kind of.
2: Kids
1: day, they probably say something like it was, it was, it was mid. I don't know, man. I I don't know. I don't know how kids talk.
0: I think you 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 play more I, video not... games than I do, so I imagine that you have more interaction. Well, well, usually when I play who... video
1: games, the kids just call me bad words because they think I suck. See,
0: so you're up to date on what modern squares are. <laughs> oh, they they just use the same ones we use, man. The more things change, the more they stay the same, see? <laughs> <laughs> que sera, sera. <laughs> well, what were, what were you reaching for, though, when, when you were trying to say what the kids were like? Were you trying uh, to compliment it? I'm, I'm I'm trying to wrap my head around what you're trying I, to say. I think,
1: I think I'm just trying to say that I thought it was fine. Oh. Which, depending on your perspective, could be a backhanded compliment, or it could be a pretty dismissive, condescending insult.
0: I happen to know you well enough to say that whenever someone says something is fine, the way you interpret that is as a backhanded compliment. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas when I say something is fine, it's a genuine, I genuinely mean that it's fine. It's pretty mid-level, maybe even slightly above average.
1: Oh, okay. Did you think this movie was above average?
0: I think so i think when i compare it to uh some of the movies that we've seen recently i i was more entertained by it in the moment over yeah over some of the movies oh i i was i i don't want to turn this into a thing where have i have to compare and rate every yeah, single exactly. movie yeah yeah exactly but you know i can't help but say that I found myself more entertained by this than V Batman Oh yeah. Definitely. <clears throat> and I, I was even saying to you yesterday that <clears throat> I think that I might have even liked this better than uh No Way Home.
1: Yeah, yeah. But And I think I s I think I said that I was more entertained or that I enjoyed No Way Home more. Yeah. But I definitely think this is a better movie. Yeah, just from so, an artistic or creative standpoint.
0: Yeah, I think if we break it down in terms of just sparse elements, uh, it, it's 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 almost like okay. Uh, for me, I think it it the best way that I can put it is there were less things that annoyed me about this movie. Than No Way Home. No Way Home. Yeah. And because I found it less annoying by default, it was more entertaining for me. Like, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that, I guess that that's that's makes sense. That absolutely yeah.
1: makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I, think, I guess that's how I would put it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense, man. I mean, looking back at No Way Home now, several months removed from the experience of watching it in the theater when it uh-huh. came out. Uh, I do think that maybe, maybe I was incorrect a few moments ago when I said I enjoyed it, but I will admit that I had fun watching it. I don't know if there's a, there's a slight distinction between genuine enjoyment and just having fun. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely in terms of being a better crafted movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness beats out No Way Home just because it doesn't have as many stupid things in yeah. the story. Well, there aren't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there yeah. aren't as many things that happen in Doctor Strange that make you quirk your eyebrow or make you wonder uh, or make you question the consistent, the internal consistency of the story. Whereas exactly. No Way Home was just chock full of those.
0: Yeah. And I'll even boil it down to the idea that and and i feel like this is a comparison that makes the most sense because dr strange was in both those movies but Mm -hmm. and and maybe this is telling maybe this speaks to me as some sort of a stickler for for as a comic fan or something whatever but all throughout no way home i couldn't help but watch that movie and think why is dr strange so stupid (laughs) Like he was there were just a lot of basic common sense things that he was overlooking or that or ways in which he was just behaving where it just felt it just felt like he was completely out out of character or felt like he was way dumber than the doctor strange that i would expect Mm -hmm. and and i didn't really have quite as many if if any of those scenes in this, in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, he was, he at least seemed like a competent person in this. There was no, there weren't any, there weren't too many occasions that I can think of, again, if any, where I had to pause to question his judgment, you Mm -hmm. know? (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Here's the question for you, Albert. Yeah. Do you think that the Doctor Strange in No Way Home was more incompetent than the Batman in The Batman
0: Uh no because okay and maybe this is again not a fair comparison but with Batman the expectation is or or the thing that you love about Batman is that Batman is Batman he's 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 a guy who can get out of any situation because he either has the resources or the knowledge and the know how and the can do attitude to overcome whatever his uh obstacles are. That's mm-hmm. that's the thing that people love about Batman. So to see him not even be able to tell the difference between L and La in Spanish <laughs> like that just makes him look super dumb. Super dumb. Yeah. And that that sort of trumps um maybe okay. Well, okay, when I put it this way, if if I compare that to Doctor Strange not even asking the most bare minimum basic questions of Peter Parker before altering the fabric of the universe, uh, okay, maybe that that is pretty stupid, but... uh, That was more
1: irresponsible.
0: Yeah, it was definitely more irresponsible, but Batman did seem way dumber. Mm -hmm. Way Mm -hmm. dumber. (laughs) Just really (laughs) dumb. (laughs) Uh he was in the slow kids class. <laughs> uh, it
1: but... wasn't his fault, man. He was probably really sad after his parents were murdered.
0: <laughs> How could you expect
1: <laughs> they... him to concentrate on school?
0: Uh, Okay, okay. That's that's why they give out free A's when uh, a kid's roommate dies, right? In college? Or is that an a, a urban legend?
1: i never heard that one before. Really? Uh-uh. <laughs>
0: Yeah, uh, well, I just know it because uh, there was some movie a couple years back where the entire premise of the movie was that this kid was flunking out of college, so...
2: He killed uh, his
1: roommates so the professors didn't have sympathy?
0: Yeah, he finds out that if a kid, uh, if a student's roommate dies while while you're in your semester, then you pass all those classes, so the movie becomes about him trying to kill his roommate. (laughs) That's hilarious. Uh... It's hilarious in the explanation. I don't think that movie left any sort of impact other than me telling you that story right here, right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it sounds like the kind of movie that's more entertaining for from hearing you tell me about it than for me actually watching it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, it's that entire, you know, 30-second spiel that I gave you was probably better than the entirety of that actual movie. <laughs> <laughs> what movie was this? See, that's the thing. I don't even remember the name of the movie. <laughs> Nice. I think Colin Hanks might have been in it. I, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, do you have any other
1: spoiler-free thoughts on Doctor Strange before we dive into full spoiler mode?
0: No. Uh, you know, suffices to say that, um, you know, those are our general thoughts. Uh, you know, on the movie. Um, uh, and anything after this point is just going to be us digging digging deep into. nuts and bolts of the actual film itself and you know revealing all the secrets for for all of you that have already seen it and if you haven't seen it yet uh and you want to hold off then this is the cutoff point uh if if you don't care then you know feel free to continue to listen to
1: yep consider yourselves warned all right albert what's the first thing you want to spoil about the movie
0: so i think the biggest thing that we have to spoil is in regards to the fan service that's that's just kind of mm-hmm. like we've we alluded to the fan service elements of it and <clears throat> and this was definitely a movie that was built around the fan service because uh they they did a trailer where a disembodied voice uh narrates the scene and what do we uh people people were just creaming their jeans over the fact that they were they were saying that it was patrick stewart they were, they were losing mm-hmm. control because this would cement the fact that the X-Men and Mutants are going to in some way, shape, or form coexist with the Marvel universe that we know. And mm-hmm. seeing as the how, Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> exactly. And seeing as how all these people who came to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they they had to take time to learn about doctor strange and captain marvel and all these other characters um the x-men as a property was a thing that more people were peripherally aware of Uh, maybe not quite as much as something like batman but people Mm -hmm. knew what the x-men were before the movies came out so to tease the idea that one of the biggest properties in the marvel wheelhouse was potentially going to be uh, rolled out in this movie. Oh, people were just—they were flinging feces at each other in excitement.
1: <laughs> they were like monkeys at the zoo. Exactly,
0: they are monkeys. We just—I don't respect to look humanity. At, we don't have to go to the zoo to watch these monkeys. We just go on Twitter. Exactly, so that's what social media is for—just watching people fling verbal poop at each other. <laughs> so. So Going into the movie, I'll just flat out say it, but the thing that turned me off was that so many people were excited about the idea of Patrick Stewart as Charles Xavier coming on and introducing mutants to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. People were wild about that, but the more wild they got, the less I wanted to give them that satisfaction of knowing that I w- I was gonna share in this thing with them. Mm-hmm, if anything, mm-hmm. I wanted to piss on their shoes. Mhm, mhm. Yeah. I'm with you That's, on that. Yeah. Our, so
1: our enjoyment is knowing that other people didn't enjoy something.
0: <laughs> 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 that sounds about right. <laughs> when someone says "Happy Birthday," I have to go out of my way to stick my thumb in their eye. <laughs>
1: I just tell them that they're one year closer to their death.
0: (laughs) And now they're blind too. Yeah. Yeah, But so already going into this, I I wasn't, I was not into that idea. The thing about it is, it already felt like this was a thing that was going to happen. You know, the writing had been on the wall for a while that Marvel had just gotten the rights back to the uh, the X-Men properties. So we all knew that this was going to be a thing that was going to happen. And I guess people were just ready for, to, to finally see anything, any, any small fragment of it. And I think during the whole movie that, cloud lingered over over the entirety of the movie because the whole time you're just there watching this movie and what i expected was just constant fan service just you know do these constant reminders that hey look how shared this universe is (laughs) yeah but but really it was pretty limited to just that one chunk of the movie and i think that's why you know when when dr strange comes into uh the alternate universe where he meets the illuminati and he meets charles xavier and he meets mr fantastic and he meets black Bolt, captain marvel and uh captain carter um it was really it it felt it was definitely longer than a uh, a cameo but it, it wasn't it didn't feel like it was the entirety of the movie you know mm-hmm. so it was just short enough and just clumsy enough where it didn't really do anything for me but i could also ignore it i don't know what'd you think
1: yeah i think because it was just limited to a specific sequence in the film made it a little bit more palatable because it didn't permeate the entire movie like it, it wasn't about
0: uh it wasn't about him working with the Ill- Illuminati to save th- the multiverse. Yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. Yeah, whereas this... something like the the Spider-Man movie, uh, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield were essentially like there for a significant chunk of the movie, like half the movie at least, right? Probably. Yeah,
0: yeah. This the second half, the redemption arc of the movie.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah
1: but having this alternate version of the illuminati show up there there was something even entertaining about how they were all eventually dispatched in the movie yeah so i got some entertainment out of that too and yeah. and it was it was i guess it was a way for for marvel studios to kind of give people the stuff that the studio had been teasing without really having to commit to providing a bigger explanation or a more in-depth storyline to craft around these characters.
0: Yeah. Because they they just show up and get
1: killed, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, exactly. You don't really need to put a whole lot of work or effort in. And uh, the actors that they got were all recognizable actors from other things yeah i guess uh seeing jim from the office play reed richards was <laughs> it it made me laugh like i i couldn't no no disrespect to, <laughs> to jim halpert or yeah. or uh shoot what's his actual name uh john john krasinski, john krasinski? yeah and
0: no disrespect to him <laughs> wow but, but, <laughs> i but, mean i know that was unintentional but oof. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I can't help it, man. I just associate him with
1: Jim Halpert, and it, it's like when I saw him appear, I just started chuckling, man. It, it was, it was funny. Like the novelty of seeing Jim Halpert as Mr. Fantastic, it was too amusing for me. I, I couldn't, I couldn't really take him seriously. And it's no, no fault on his acting or anything. He's, he's a good actor. Yeah. But I think yeah. because I only associate him with the office it, it was just one of those things man where where my personal uh limited exposure to his his acting just kind of pigeonholed him in my mind as this comedic guy yeah. so to see him as one of the most important superheroes in the Marvel universe it it was a trip for me and i know that a lot of people online were clamoring for it for him to be Reed Richards. I I don't really know why or I don't and I don't know where that desire came from. Uh-huh. But I guess Marvel Studios decided to give the people what they wanted, man, and what they wanted was Jim uh John Krasinski as Reed Richards.
0: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say I think when I think about uh, Mr. Fantastic, uh especially the one from the Hickman run, uh, the ones that were drawn by Dale Eaglesham early on Mm -hmm. in the run. Mm -hmm. That was a version of Mr. Fantastic that was kind of the adventure science hero. He was, he was cut, dude. He was super cut. He was like this buff dude. Right. And it was the idea that um, we had seen Reed Richards, Richards as this twerpy nerd for so long. That people forget that he can be kind of an action hero too, you know, an Mm -hmm. act like an adventurer, scientist, kind of in the vein of something like um, what's that one pulp comic, Doc Doc Savage?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, you know,
0: something like that, or Indiana Jones, you know. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you compare that to John Krasinski in A Quiet Place, or uh one of those he he did like some tom clancy series for a while i forget which which series it was yeah
1: something on amazon right yeah Well, i guess i don't remember exactly but i remember seeing commercials for it i just never watched it myself
0: i mean in his career after the office i really felt like he tried to jack uh, ryan i think that's what it was called yeah yeah you're right it was jack Ryan. but in his career after the office it felt like he really Wanted to push himself away from kind of being that meek, uh, you know, uh doe-eyed, lovable character to, mm-hmm. to something a little more masculine, because he picked up a lot of these masculine roles after that. Right. Yeah. And yeah. in my mind, when you take that version of him as Jack Ryan um, and like tra- transpose that on top of uh, the version of Mr. Fantastic that they were shooting for, I, I could see it. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but the thing is, when I actually saw him up there, he looked like a weenie. He looked pretty, pretty, pretty torpy, and the way that he died didn't make him look super heroic either. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, he got taken out like a punk. Yeah, yeah. Tell him what happened. It's just one of those things where he kind of reached out his hand at Scarlet Witch and she just used her powers to rip him apart, like literally rip him apart, and then I think his head popped like a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> it
0: it was pretty undignified. Super undignified. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Well, so, yeah. So, in addition to that, the the other big thing that I feel had to be mentioned is the idea of Charles Xavier. This This whole big thing that, they had built so much uh fanfare around when we when we finally do see him come out he's in the jim lee floating wheelchair that he created in the nin- in the 90s yeah <laughs> that's and, how you uh, know
1: that their reality was a pretty apocalyptic yeah one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well but that that was probably the biggest fan servicey thing for me in in the whole movie and yeah they
1: did the slow pan up his 90s wheelchair and they played the theme yeah. from the '90s X-Men cartoon.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: it was a hover chair, and I had f- the thing is I never thought about that hover chair for the or or I haven't thought about that hover chair in the longest time. Like when when I was a kid and the hover chair came out, it was like yeah whatever right. I I didn't really think about it too much, but seeing it on screen like that, it made me realize how much I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it looked pretty silly, didn't it? It did. It did. I wasn't a fan, it it just made me realize how how ugly the thing was. And uh and on top of that, the way that they kept revealing Professor X whenever uh you know, whenever he wanted to step out of the shadows. And and they did it quite a few times, you know, mm-hmm. but they always made it seem like it was discreet, but he's in this giant blocky wheelchair, hovering wheelchair thing. So I almost imagine him knocking things over before he steps out of the shadows and goes, Twas I! <laughs> <You know? laughs> Twas I all along!
1: <laughs> yeah, like when he shows up to to face off against Wando right before yeah. she's about to get at Christine exactly. and America.
0: Exactly. It's like, how, how did this guy sneak up on her in this giant, like... 4 foot by 5 foot <laughs> mini car tank thing.
1: <laughs> well, it, it's a hovercraft so it's silent, man.
0: Sure, sure.
1: <laughs> maybe maybe uh when Hank McCoy designed the wheelchair, he integrated some of the Blackbird's stealth systems into the wheelchair.
0: <laughs> All right, if that's what it takes, if that's what people need to make themselves feel better about it, sure, whatever. <laughs> Uh yeah Other what than... did you
1: think of the Illuminati in the movie, and what do you think of the Illuminati in the comics, Albert? I'm curious.:
0: Okay, so the, the the thing was as I was watching the movie, I felt I felt like their version of the Illuminati didn't seem right. There was something that was bugging me as I was watching it, something that was scratching at the back of my head, and I just couldn't put my finger on it, and then I realized what it was. I was looking at it, and I was like, man. You don't have Namor on the team. What? Mm-hmm. That just felt wrong.
1: Disgraceful.
0: Yeah. yeah, Namor is the team dick, and you know, and they're basically a team of jerks. So that that says a lot, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he he's above, and he he's like a step above their regular jerkdom, and that's what he brings to the team. He he's the guy who's willing to plunge his hands into the filth. And he yeah. what he needs, hmm hmm And now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm speaking about it, Black Panther wasn't on the team either, and and that's more understandable because you know of what happened with Chadwick Boseman. So, I I get it, but, you know, in my heart, that that, that there's something missing there, you know. And and that version of the or my version of the Illuminati in my heart needs to have Namor and Black Panther.
1: Do you have an ideal? illuminati lineup
0: i think the classic illuminati lineup is uh is 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 the perfect lineup for me uh the
1: the classic one or the hickman one because the the classic
0: lineup didn't have black panther you're right you're right the hickman one sorry the hickman one is is the ideal one for me uh so you had what black panther namor hank mccoy iron man uh read and black strange read yeah. and black exactly that was and i think well it had a bunch of different artists but the uh, when i close my eyes and i imagine them it's usually the mike diodato version uh, oh interesting yeah that's that's the image of them that usually sticks out to me but the way that uh they drew those in the comics it, it always seems like it was a pretty menacing team even though they're names that i recognize even though they're Uh, characters that are beloved and noble and heroic or traditionally noble and heroic Uh, Mm -hmm. because of the nature of the story the way that they were portrayed it did make them seem like there was this menacing aspect to their uh character that we never saw and maybe that that made it even more just intriguing and intriguing yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely so yeah that's my my ideal version of uh, the Illuminati. I, I didn't really... I Yeah, I, I didn't have too much of an issue with the version that we saw in this movie because, after all, at the, end, at the end of the day, it's, they're an alternate version, an alternate universe version. So it, it re- what it's really doing is laying the groundwork, the foundation for uh, whatever Illuminati we're going to see. Um, I think... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I also think that when they announced it, when you know the the moment that they roll it out and they say the Illuminati will come and see you now, there there was something about that that grated grated against me as well. It I don't know. It just didn't feel or sound as menacing as it would in my head, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. It made it sound like the Illuminati was an organization that everybody recognized and knew about. Yeah. Which is. Yeah kind of antithetical to the concept of the illuminati isn't it like isn't the illuminati inherently supposed
0: to be society (laughs) yeah
1: exactly exactly
0: so by giving him that name it's like well what's that mean to him it shouldn't mean anything
2: Mm -hmm.
0: right Mm -hmm. it almost would have sounded better or made more sense if they had just seen said something to the effect of the council will now see you or something and then (laughs) you know they tease at the idea that this council actually is the illuminati behind the scenes you know yeah um something that through symbolism we the viewers recognize as the illuminati but they within the confines of their universe don't but Mm -hmm. i guess they just didn't think in those terms
1: yeah apparently not
0: um yeah did you have any other things to say about like the fan service? like Anything you know, like good or bad? I heard
1: people, uh, before the movie came out, I heard people hopef- hoping and wishing that they would see an alternate universe Tony Stark played by Tom Cruise.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I was kind of bracing myself for that.
0: When you told me that, I couldn't help, but that was another cloud that just hung over me. So the whole time I was like, are, are we, are we going to see that? Is this going to happen? <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, that entire fight was also questionable too. You mentioned how Reed died, where she, you know, basically strung him like string cheese, peeled yeah. him like string cheese, and then made his head pop. But, uh, you know, there that wasn't the only death. Uh, Black Bolt. I thought this was he had a, a funny death. death.
1: that was creative, man.
0: It was creative, and I couldn't help but laugh, which was interesting because i I could hear audible gasps in the theater. <laughs> Did you hear those? Like, I don't think I heard the those theater? because
1: I was laughing too.
0: Okay, yeah, because yeah, exactly. actually,
1: you know what when when they first showed Patrick Stewart roll in on the hover chair, yeah, that was when the people next to me started uh, whispering to each other in excitement.
0: Yeah. Uh, eh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But the thing about Black Bolt was his power is that his voice is so powerful that he he just needs to utter a single sound and that sound is enough to just disintegrate you. So when Scarlet Witch shows up, the threat is that Black Bolt can just disintegrate you with just a word uttered from his mouth, and she uses her power to make his mouth disappear and his panicked state uh black bolt makes a sound you know he he makes a sound to try to you know make something happen but because the sound has nowhere to go his head explodes (laughs) (laughs) i couldn't help but laugh even
1: just thinking about it now makes you laugh it's
0: it's it's the kind of horror flick uh death that's so over the top that it becomes funny you know yeah totally yeah totally um yeah but i i remember well, like while i was laughing i could hear people on the other side of the the theater like gasp <laughs> cuz yeah. it was it was a pretty gruesome death but yeah yeah if you yeah. Th-
1: if you think about it that is a pretty bad way to go out yeah there was a flashback scene featuring the illuminati in that Timeline where they when Black bolt basically executes do, their doctor Strange and you do yeah. get to see him use his power, I thought that was pretty cool that was well done a good way to demonstrate how his power works, yeah, and the sound on that was excellent too.
0: did you think it was interesting that their doctor Strange didn't have a mustache
1: <laughs> yeah that that's I don't know about that that's I guess that's how you know he's evil right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like the Mirror
0: Universe version of Doctor Strange. Yeah, it just but has opposite facial hair. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then there were other things about the fight that didn't really make too much sense. Uh, and, and again, maybe this is one of those point times where we're nerding, nerding out a little too much about it. But you know what? I, I stand by it. it. It didn't make too much sense to me. So... As a uh, as Captain Carter is fighting with Wanda, and one point she throws a shield, or like she like smacks her with the shield, like pretty hard, and Wanda survives. Okay, maybe to anybody else that's that's just an action action sequence, whatever. But mm-hmm. I couldn't help but look at that and go, that doesn't make sense. That was yeah. one of those moments where looking at that, I was like, she 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 has these powers, okay, but. She's still just a person. It's not like she's super durable or anything. She she doesn't yeah, have super Wanda
1: strength. Is, she yeah, Wanda's not super durable.
0: Yeah, that should have been more than enough to kill her.
1: At the very least, knock her out. Yeah. Concuss her or something.
0: Yeah. And on the flip side of that, when there's a scene where she's fighting with Monica Rambo, Captain Marvel, and it's you know, I think just, that was
1: Maria Rambo, the mother. Oh, was that? I'm pretty sure it was, yeah.
0: Oh actually you're right. You're right now that
1: Cause, 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 uh, Monica Rambo was the woman who was in uh WandaVision. the WandaVision show. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're right, you're right.
1: But that that was her mother in the Illuminati.
0: Right, right. So they were fighting it out and you know, it's it's just this big thing where there's a lot of lasers and special effects going on. And she falls on the ground and what Wanda does is she topples a statue that crushes Monica, um, uh, what's her name? I I don't even remember.
1: Maria remember, Rambo. Maria
0: Rambo, yeah, or Captain Marvel. It crushes Captain Marvel, and that's the end of Captain Marvel. And watching that, that didn't feel right either.
1: Yeah, Captain Marvel yeah. can take more hits than that. Yeah. Some rocks falling on her shouldn't.
0: Yeah. Shouldn't kill her. She's strong enough to fight the Hulk. That's. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing that To me, about that once about that entire sequence, too, was for them to take Doctor Strange into this into their sanctum where they're dressing him down and talking about you know how he's the greatest threat to the multiverse, and then once everybody leaves, for Charles to just go, I'm gonna let you go. That that felt weird. It almost felt like that entire first sequence where they were just dressing him down didn't need to happen, you know if that was ultimately what he was going to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it seemed like the scene was the scene where they were dressing him down was a way for us to get a little bit of exposition to exactly. learn more about these characters that would die in the next 10, 15 minutes anyway.
0: Yeah. It was, inconsistent.
1: so <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, kind of a waste. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe if, somebody's being charitable they could say oh professor xavier read doctor strange's mind so he knows he's a good guy
0: yeah and that's why he changed his mind (laughs) yeah but then
1: if that's the case why didn't he tell the rest of the illuminati yeah (laughs) Uh, yeah and And, and speaking of the illuminati one of the things that that bugged me or that i thought was strange was the use of carl Mordo. Baron Mordo in the Illuminati, like in that universe, he was the replacement Sorcerer Supreme, and also the replacement of Doctor Strange in the Illuminati itself. And he ends up getting into this fight with our Doctor Strange in the movie, which ends up with Doctor Strange, uh, I guess beating him, but just enough to run away. So out of all the members of the Illuminati, Mordo was the only one who survived. You don't really see what happens to him or what he does after that. But it did make me wonder why we spent so much time with this alternate Mordo when the first Doctor Strange movie ended with the implication that the mainline Mordo was going to be a big threat And he didn't appear at all in the sequel.
0: Yeah, yeah. They forgot about him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wonder if that's a case where they just forgot about the character's fate in the first Doctor Strange or they just didn't care and wanted to do their own thing because, you know, different writer, different director of the movie probably. I think that's fair. Yeah.
0: That's fair. And they could always, you know, bring that back for a later movie. Now now they, now really they can have two have Mortos
1: that. team up and fight Doctor Strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is not something that I would want to see, mind you. But it right. seems like something that they could do. Right, right.
0: Yeah. Was there anything else about this uh, particular sequence? Or do you have any other scenes that you have in mind?
1: Um, I think in terms of the Illuminati, I'm glad it wasn't a focal point of the movie. It was just kind yeah. of a diversion in the main story. That I guess that makes it a little bit more palatable to me. And it wasn't as annoying as I thought it would be. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you all know how we feel about fan service. So the more something leans into the fan service elements, the less impressed we are. Yeah, and fortunately this movie didn't lean crazy hard into that for a long time you know like we got one sequence okay satisfy all the fanboys and they get to see professor x and patrick stewart reprise his role then everybody gets killed and we move on to the characters that actually matter in the story
2: yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean when you put it like that that's probably my ideal way to see it yeah
1: (laughs) Do you hope that we see a, a version of the Illuminati in the mainline MCU? Uh,
0: I did like that storyline. I don't, I don't know if anything that the movies will ever do will quite live up to it, just because the universe has, you know, there's just so many missing parts to it now, and uh, so I, I I'll tell you what. I, I, I wouldn't say that I'm excited to see it, but um, you know, if they show it it's not going to take away from the version of the Illuminati that exists in my heart and in my head. Mm -hmm,
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know? So True that, true that. So there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: wanted to ask you about something else, and this isn't to do with the story really, but I I did want to ask you what you thought about the direction and the acting in the movie.
0: Okay. All right. So... I feel like each of those there's a lot to cover in both of those, uh, but okay, I'll, I'll I'll go with the shorter one. Or well, I guess they're not that long. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll go. Okay, I'll I'll go with acting first. Okay, so in terms of the acting, I liked uh, most of the characters. I thought uh, um, Elizabeth Olsen was good as Scarlet Witch, um, and uh, uh, ben- uh, Benedict Benedict. Cumberbatch, is that his name yeah Cumberbatch, yeah like benedict a, cumberbatch cumberbatch he's he's a solid dr strange i mean at this point uh i guess he's what i imagine when i think of dr strange in real life uh yeah he yeah I, I i thought he did a good job he he's he's a likable fellow i like i did like the girl that played uh america chavez i, I don't have her name on me but I think her I name she, is Sochi Gomez. Okay, yeah, she's really likable. There's, I don't know, there's something charismatic about her and cheerful and pretty wholesome. So I, I, I dug her as a character. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's see.
1: Can't forget about our boy Wong Benedict Wong.
0: Yeah, Benedict Wong. Wong. He, he was a solid too. He's a good i i enjoyed his work in all of it uh, uh i never know how to say his name even the guy that plays morto uh ojafor i think that's his last name
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's
0: you know curse my feeble uh reading skills but i i it's hard for me to pronounce his name but uh ojafor i think uh i i I forget what his first name is, but he's he's always really good. I always I, I remember seeing him from the the Firefly movie and I really liked him in that. Oh shoot, so, that was him? Yeah he was the I think his name in that movie was he was the agent or something like that. Oh
1: dude I yeah. didn't realize that was the same actor.
0: Yeah, that's him. Nice. Like, ever since that movie he was always a dude that stuck out in my mind. Okay. Um,
1: okay. Yeah. Yeah he's yeah, he is a good actor.
0: He's a great actor. Um yeah. Uh you know Patrick Stewart is Patrick Stewart. Uh, no nothing wrong there. Uh Well Or Peggy uh, Haley atwell like I like her. Uh, you know it's it's fun seeing yeah. her again uh reprising her role as uh Peggy Carter or Agent Carter in this case Captain, or Captain Carter. Carter Captain Carter right. Um Yeah, overall I'd say I, I enjoyed everyone's acting but the one place where I'd have to say that the acting falters is the kids that played Wanda's twins. <laughs> <laughs> they got on my nerves. I I and and the thing about me is I think I'm more of a proponent for kids kid actors when uh when me and you have these discussions. I, I tend to be the person who uh has more faith in their talent and their ability. Uh but these kids to me at least they felt maybe not quite Anakin level but they were <laughs> close
1: they were better than Jake Lloyd
0: I don't even know i guess Jake Lloyd is always going to be on a league of his own but they they were definitely touching on nerves that were in the realm of Jake Lloyd <laughs> i remember there was this one scene and this is this is a thing where it might be more the direction well, it was a combination of the direction as well as the acting, but it's the scene where Wanda has possessed the alternate universe Wanda in order for her to move freely in this alternate universe. And once she possesses this alternate universe version of herself, she's about to embark on her mission, but before she leaves, her she notices that her two kids, the two kids that are the focal point of her mission, uh, the two kids that You know, are the entire goal of her of her arc. Uh, She notices that they're there, you know, and she pauses for a minute before she decides to go after America Chavez, but she pauses just to be with these kids just for a little while. And it's the scene where the kids are like, "Hey, mom, we got a song for you," and then they break out in this really cheesy song about how like we'll be good if we have ice cream. It it was a cringy scene, man. I, I was it reminds me of this family guy bit I remember from um one of their early episodes. And the family the, the whole point of the family guy bit was Peter Griffin is on a plane and the plane is about to go down. Or no, uh, Peter Griffin has become death and he's on this plane, right? Mm-hmm. And uh the whole world no longer believes that death exists. So in order for people to be afraid of death again, he needs to like kill people. So he's on this plane and he needs to make this plane crash, but he looks around and all he sees are all these like really cliche symbols of people that you wouldn't want to kill. So he looks over in one corner and there's like a bunch of nuns. And then in this other <laughs> corner, there are, there's like these Girl Scouts are there and the Girl Scouts are just singing and playing patty cake and they're singing a song. And the, the lyrics of the song are literally, we like being alive we like being alive like you know it's just really to like ratchet up the sense that oh these are all such cute and adorable beings how could you want to kill any of them and that's what that was what this scene was evoking to me it was just this really like i would have felt like it would have been a more effective scene if if she possessed if 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 the Scarlet Witch had possessed the Wanda in the other universe and before she like leaves to go on her quest, she looks over and she just sees the two of them just sitting there and being like brothers with one another. And she just observes them from like a distance, you know, like Mm -hmm. that would have been far more effective in like communicating like, oh, she, you know, she's feeling something for these kids that she loves. But the second that they open their mouths and they just start singing to to tell you, aren't we cute kids? Aren't we just like lovable kids? We're your adorable kids. How how could you think of anything else in this moment? Like that was just such a cringy song and such a cringy scene. I hated that scene so much. I hated those kids so much. I was like, if I was the Scarlet Witch, I would not be seeking out the keys to the multiverse in, for, in order to get these kids back. I'm better <laughs> off leaving them as a glimmer in my eye, as a as as a cosmic fart that never existed. <laughs> these kids were awful. I hate these kids. <laughs> wow, well, I feel like
1: I have to clip out that rant and just like let that stand on its own. <laughs> I don't know. What would you think of that scene? Maybe I'm being harsh. I mean, to be honest, I it did make me cringe too. But I I didn't. There's just something about seeing kids sing when they're not really singers, you know. And maybe that was supposed to be an example of some naturalistic acting. But yeah, Yeah. you're right, man. It like once you once you laid down your thoughts on it the way you just did, it 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 would be hard for me to come up with the counterpoint. Like there's no way that I could. Possibly defend anything that they ever did in that scene, just from the from the writing of the lyrics themselves to the way that the kids
0: terrible lyrics.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Maybe you could say it's maybe someone could say it's realistic that kids could actually think of that on their own.
0: Bad songs.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's not really something that I enjoy watching. Yeah, and maybe they wanted to do something where it would feel just cringy enough to be believable.
0: Yeah. But but uh, yeah,
1: you're right, man. There, there wasn't really any advantage to having them do that. It just kind of yeah. makes them
0: look bad. But that's the thing. It just felt like Sam Raimi was like, I, I need a scene here to show that these kids are just super adorable and just to, you know, really ratchet up that, that sense of, Pathos, you know, and that, yeah, but making factor. them
1: sing but, isn't the way to do it.
0: Yeah, it didn't make them adorable. It didn't make me feel for her situation or for these kids. It just made me feel like she should have just used that same power where she popped a Reed Richards' head like balloon on these two kids. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was bad.
2: And have you, know you ever
1: thought that kids were cute though? Or are you naturally inclined to be annoyed with kids? So for yeah, them like- to act annoying in a movie just makes it worse.
0: I like kids. I, I, I like good kids. I like quiet kids. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? I, I don't like annoying kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, dude. You just reminded me of the time when we watched the first Doctor Strange movie in the theater. What was that? 2016?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember when it was, but yeah.
1: I remember we watched it, and a couple seats down from you... There was a family who brought their son, and he was probably like eight or nine years old at the time. Yeah. And this kid would not shut up during the movie. He was super annoying.
0: He was was pouting about something, but it was just coming out about the movie, you know?
1: He kept saying, like during certain scenes in the movie, he would say things like, this is boring. And he would just sigh really loudly and just, you know, kind of, be somebody in the audience in a crowded yeah. theater who was just being obnoxious about it. And I, I, I clearly remember one moment when somebody in the movie said something funny and, and the audience started to, to laugh. I could hear him say, why are you laughing? That's not funny.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This kid was, was an abortion that didn't happen. <laughs> it was a missed opportunity. See, you we're being topical kid... today. I'm pro-choice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Do you think that kid was more annoying than the two kids that were uh, Wanda's kids in this movie?
0: Yeah, that kid was probably more annoying than the two kids in in this movie. Yeah, I'd say so. Mhm. And and to be fair, um, the, the movie just brought my disdain for these two kids to the forefront, but I remember when we were when I was watching uh, uh, WandaVision. Even then, I thought the kids weren't particularly good actors. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think they did anything in those movies or oh, in that miniseries where I was like, oh, this is so bad or this is so terrible. But they did just enough that I knew that in my heart they weren't good actors, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then to see them in this scene, you know, pretending to be cute, singing this song for their mom this bad song for their mom uh, in this one scene that just cemented in my mind i knew for a fact that they were terrible actors
1: so what, what would how would you react one day if you have kids and they do this for you
0: i'd probably tell them you were adopted <laughs> <laughs>
1: No man, I can't wait for you to have kids. Like that. <laughs> I cannot wait for you to have kids, man. I'm yeah. excited for you to be a father.
0: Yeah, yeah, I can, yeah, but yeah, oh, okay. So there, the, that's probably the one point where where the acting was the worst. Um, in, in regards to the directorial stuff, I will say that. What we were, what you were saying earlier about how, if this had been more of a, a horror movie from the start to finish, it would have mm-hmm. been more interesting. I, I think, yeah, if they had carried that aesthetic over uh, throughout the movie, as opposed to just random sections or random scenes, mm-hmm. it, it would have been far more interesting and appealing uh, as an yeah. experience, because. Um, I remember some interviews where they talked about how they wanted to incorporate these horror elements. So going into it, I was kind of aware of it, but it's not until certain scenes where it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. Now I see it. So there's this scene where Wanda, uh, the possessed version of Wanda is chasing them through these tunnels, these underground tunnels. Right. Yeah. She's just this unstoppable horror monster. Yeah. Um, That was fun. Even then, it was it was it was a really fun scene, but even then she didn't look like a monster. Like they tried to make her seem kind of scary. She had the red eyes in some scenes and she had, you know, what looked like blood on her face, but yeah, she was limping. Um, yeah, and she was limping, but they didn't really like they didn't it's like they didn't want to commit to it, you know? Um so there'd be scenes where she would look scary and then she would look just like a regular like just elizabeth Olson, you know yeah and it made me think um, one of the reasons that her powers work is because she has access to the dark hold this dark book of magic right and uh, they were talking about how the magic book corrupts you and uh you know the more you use it so that would have been a perfect opportunity to you know use the special effects to show how wanda was just being corrupted by this book she should have been just monstrous looking disfigured grotesque you know mm-hmm. yeah. you
1: wanted her to look like an abomination
0: i did i did especially if we were in keeping with the idea that this was a horror movie like mm-hmm. i want to feel uneasy when i look at her or or maybe not outright fear that's a little harder to to capture but you know i i want to know you know i want the 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 hint of fear at at the very least yeah yeah
1: yeah i'm with you on that yeah i think horror is difficult to pull off at times because at least from my experience with horror movies granted it's not a genre i seek out very often but from what I can think of of the horror movies I've watched that were made in the last, I don't know, let's say 20 years or so, it feels like a lot of horror movies tend to depend on jump scares and uh-huh. little tricks that only work in, in film. And this movie definitely had a couple of jump scares, which were pretty cheap in my opinion because that's not something I respect or appreciate because it only works because... You're in a theater, and, of course, blasting a really loud sound effect or chord of music when something pops up on the screen is going to startle you it doesn't really work if, you know, you're just watching it on, on a TV or something. So, yeah. it, like, I know that I noticed that they did do a couple of things like that, and then the scene you just mentioned with Wanda chasing them, and then there was also... Uh, at least one scene where uh, we see Wanda take over the alternate Wanda and that whole sequence I thought was pretty well done in terms of just being creepy.
2: Yeah,
0: I think at one point she crawls out of like a reflection in a gong or something and she does this backwards crab walk.
1: Yeah, I I think that was when she was In the monastery. Yeah, that was was when she was in the monastery. monastery. But that was something
0: that jumped out at me. Yeah, yeah,
1: like that's another example of of nice, interesting horror, like kind of body horror, in the midst of this superhero spectacle film. Yeah. So like, there were clearly elements of that sprinkled throughout the movie, but I think because there was so much spectacle, it kind of worked. They kind of provided us with these contrasting tones that didn't really yeah fit together or you know two different flavors that don't fully exactly complement each other i still think one of the flavors just appealed to me a little bit more you know
0: exactly exactly like i still think even though they had this big battle set piece in the beginning where she was attacking kamar even that could have been if they had wanted to do that right they could have Mm -hmm. done a horror version of that Right. Where, oh yeah. Totally. Totally. But instead it just became a laser light show. Yeah.
1: So, just typical Marvel trick of having someone fighting a CG TV. army.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I will say that one of the things that was on my mind when I was watching it was. Yeah. Seeing as how I knew that they were trying to touch on the horror. Um like even even towards the end of the movie once once it you felt like oh everything is okay one of the tropes of horror was that there's always that one last scene where the monster comes back right where the the hero it turns out the horror isn't over Mm -hmm. so like you know so you're watching this scene where dr strange is just walking out into the street and he's uh you know might as well be trying to kick up his heels or something right, because he saved the universe one, and he's he's in a good place, and then suddenly you know he he begins to like reel in pain, and then <laughs> a third eye just pops up in his forehead because you know he used the dark hold and as an after effect of the dark hold it's it's warped his body to some degree uh, that was you know I thought that was something you know a nice little homage to again to the genre of horror.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. so
0: you know it's it's little things like that
1: uh yeah and and the other thing is that you uh you were talking about the bruce campbell appearance in the movie too
0: yeah 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 (laughs) yeah that was something where you know again sam raimi cut his teeth on horror so uh the fact that bruce campbell was there and the thing that happens to bruce campbell is that dr strange uses his power to make Bruce Campbell lose control of his hand, and his hand just starts assaulting him. And that's something that happened in the first, uh, oh, it happens in Army of Darkness.
2: Yeah. You know, yeah. He,
0: he fights his own evil hand. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was a nice touch, too. Um, Heck, I, I'd even say that entire last sequence where you have zombie Doctor Strange, where's Z- Doctor Strange mm-hmm. uh, possessing the, the body. corpse. Yeah, possesses the corpse of the other Doctor the dead Doctor Strange. The so one then,
1: that was wearing the, the costume from the Matt Fraction defenders.
0: <laughs> oh right. Oh uh, yeah. The I Matt Fraction and uh nice. <laughs> Terry Dotson. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. But that version of Doctor Strange, like that entire sequence where the the ghouls from the afterlife are are, you know, chomping at him until you know steven takes control of all of them and becomes this giant floating monstrosity well, i thought that was kind of cool looking well, you know uh, mm-hmm. in terms of like all the cg stuff that was going on that that i thought that was a little more interesting to look mm-hmm. at
1: <clears throat> yeah totally
0: there was also that entire fight sequence where they were just using music notes like oh yeah that was a creative a scene thing, yeah i i did appreciate of, that yeah i thought that was very creative very clever.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Yeah. The the whole scene was just them it was doc it was Stephen Strange uh encountering a warped dark mirror version of himself and they end up having this battle where they use their magic and music to attack each other and they stay within that theme the whole time. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's not just like a one-off thing, so it's and if you're listening to it, you're listening to the different types of music, uh, like to battle give you with little each other. notes and excerpts yeah. from
1: famous pieces of classical music.
0: Exactly, like I, I want to say one of them was might have been like the Dracula theme or something, you know? No, <laughs> yeah. But well, tell me this: when uh-huh. I was watching that theme, I, I don't know about you, but there was something about it that also evoked. Uh, Fantasia while I was watching it. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah, I can see of, that. Uh, Mickey Mouse with uh you know using uh music to control all those brooms as they all come to life and everything gets chaotic around them. Yeah, yeah. It was something about watching that scene that made me think of that Mickey Mouse bit from Fantasia. Nice. Yeah, I didn't like think I, of that
1: in the moment, but now that you mention it, I'm probably going to think of that if I ever watch this again.
0: Like I I'd be curious to see if that was something that had any sort of influence on that, on that particular battle, but like, in terms of all the battles and there were quite a few battles that happened throughout this movie, that, that's probably my favorite battle. Mm-hmm. You know, is it's the most interestingly choreographed and uh, the best use of special effects.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I yeah. was, I was pretty impressed by that scene in particular. I thought that was a creative use of CG in a Marvel battle. Uh, like uh. if they had done more stuff like that, I think visually it would have captured my attention a little bit better. I mean again, yeah. I just go back to that scene where Scarlet Witch fights the monastery, and that was that was a pretty boor- boring scene to me. Like I wasn't I wasn't yeah. too impressed by that at all.
0: Yeah. I do think it was good that that was just out of the way early so that I didn't have yeah. to think about it.
1: Yeah, that's true, man. That's true. Yeah.
0: Did you, were there any other uh, bits of choreography or direction that jumped out at you? Like I, yeah, those are probably my favorite things.
1: Yeah. I guess when it comes to Dr. Strange, we we saw this in his first movie as well as his appearances in other Marvel movies, but because he uses magic visually, the effects used whenever he activates a magic spell or uses his powers, there should always be something stimulating for the viewer. Right. And yeah, I think there were some scenes that, that did that for me. And uh, this wasn't necessarily him using his power, but the the scene where he and America fall through the multiverse uh, for the first time together mm-hmm. and you just see all these really fast cuts of them f- passing through different universes like that. I guess that's to be expected in, in a story like this where you get to actually at least really see like hints of other realities that, we don't get to spend actual time in but the the disorientation effect i thought was pretty well done it also that whole sequence also seemed like one of those scenes that is specially designed for people to watch on home video so they could pause it and and you know freeze frame (laughs) and just dissect every single little bit of each universe and try and figure out what they are Right, right. Like, there there was a lot in that scene. Like, all I really caught was seeing the Living Tribunal in one moment, and then uh, they passed through some water world and made me wonder if that was supposed to be Atlantis. Mm-hmm. I don't know, man.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's... For me, that was just so minimal uh, that I could ignore it, but I could see for someone who's just completely driven by fan service how they would just pour over that
2: yeah like yeah you know scene by Pause scene, scene just to watch try it frame to,
0: by frame yeah frame by frame exactly but i don't really have any interest in that <laughs> yeah
1: i'm not gonna do that another scene that i remember was when he was trying to deal with wanda and i think this was earlier in the movie but he makes her uh fall into this room of mirrors or something yeah and she's just looking at all these reflections of herself. I, I thought the way that that was done was visually pretty cool, and it, it didn't it didn't drag too long. So yeah. I think that's what helped make it work even better. Yeah, like stuff yeah. like that is the kind of stuff that you would expect Doctor Strange to be doing when he's battling somebody.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, so in terms of uh, other choices that they made, though, there were little bits. That didn't make too much sense to me. Um, one of the uh, choices that they that they make at one point is when Wanda kidnaps uh, uh, Wong and she flies off to whatever uh, to WandaGore, to mm-hmm. access the the source for all of the Darkhold magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once they get there, she disposes of Wong by throwing him off a building and you just see him fall and even as i'm watching the scene there's a part of me that's like oh there's he's he's gonna find some way to survive this i don't think that's the end of him right it would suck
1: if that's how they got rid of Wong, man yeah yeah you can't kill him like that
0: but i'd even say that how they kept him kind of sucked too
1: (laughs) (laughs) what he just woke up unconscious on a ledge yeah
0: (laughs) yeah exactly so
1: what's so hard to believe about that dude you fall off a mountain there's bound to be a bunch of ledges on the way down
0: that's true and there's there's got to be some chance that you don't smash your head open or break every bone in your body when you land (laughs) (laughs) that was something where that was probably one of the biggest moments for me where i i stopped and i was like wait seriously (laughs) i was like come on man (laughs)
1: Dude, maybe Wong is just super athletic, dude. Maybe he landed on his feet, and then he was exhausted from the ordeal, so he took a nap, and then when we see him next, that's when he wakes up.
0: Well, it might be what you were saying in the movie, which was since all Asians are descended from cats, he just landed gracefully like a kitten. Th- that That statement doesn't mean anything to anyone outside of me and you. <laughs> <laughs> it, really, it just makes us sound racist. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, for just quick context, uh, I remember we were watching this uh vice video a couple of years back where this guy was interviewing a uh, white nationalist, and this guy had a theory uh, of evolution. And his uh, evolutionary theory was that Asians were evolved from cats, because, you know, if you watch Asians do kung fu, they're they're graceful and yeah, and you they're
1: know. always good at gymnastics. Yeah, exactly. And and uh, look at our eyes, man. We have eyes that are slanted like cats or something, yeah. and we and eat we a eat lot of fish. fish all the, all the, yeah, all the just time. like cats. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, clearly, so, we Asians evolved we're from cats. from
2: cats. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So there we go. (laughs) I still want to know what that dude thinks white people evolved from. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right. Do you want to go into some of the themes or the ideas of the movie?
1: Wait, hang on. Before we do that, since we were talking a little bit about Mount Wundergore, I was wondering, man, when they mentioned Mount Wundergore, was the first thing you thought of where is the high evolutionary?
0: Uh that wasn't the first thing that I thought of. Um I mean it's a good point that you bring it up, bring him up, but yeah, I don't I think that would have just overcomplicated things. So I wasn't in that moment, that wasn't the thing that I was thinking of. Mm-hmm. Plus Wandagore as 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 far as locales in the Marvel universe hasn't ever been a place that really jumped out at me or enticed me even though i do like the high evolutionary a lot
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yeah okay
0: yeah
1: the other thing that i was wondering if we were going to see is i thought we were going to see bova
0: she's the uh the like the cow babysitter for scarlet witch and pietro right yeah yeah exactly yeah. because
1: you know how when we were in the in the monastery, there was that Minotaur-looking dude. Yeah, like I wondered if, I won't, like, <laughs> when he first appeared, I, I thought we were gonna see Bova later on in the movie. And when they went to Mount Wundergore, I was like, "Dude, we're gonna see Bova. <laughs> maybe, maybe <laughs> she and that Minotaur dude have some kind of connection." <laughs> do, you,
0: do, you, do you have that much uh, affection for for that character? Yeah,
1: don't you? I mean she's a cow woman how can you not find that adorable or amusing it's just a funny concept you know like this i the idea that this evolved cow ended up becoming scarlet witches and quicksilver's nanny and raised them from from childhood like there's there's something super comic booky about that
0: i guess i mean I, it's, it's not an idea i ever thought too too deeply on if i had to be perfectly honest
1: you ain't got love for bova?
0: I don't got love for bova, but I don't got any hate for her either, okay, okay, I'll take that yeah. I'll take she's, that yeah she's a character that exists, you know, yeah, so,
1: not in very many comics, but she does exist
0: yeah, uh, she's probably got more of a more of a footprint than the parastrike force or something, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look him up, kids. <laughs> the Parastrike Force. Yeah. They just bought their first appearance. <laughs> yeah, Darkhawk. What, what was it, like Darkhawk number
1: 17 or something?
0: I don't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> but that was a purely novelty buy right there. It, it was, was like, their
1: first appearance, man. It's a key issue.
0: First, last, and only. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but just you wait, man. You You sit on that, Albert, because 10 years from now, when they become the villains of a Marvel movie, you're going to be able to sell that comic.
0: Yep. Everybody else is going to be the fools. Exactly. <laughs> Once they've run out of villains to put into movies and they scrape the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm going to be rich. <laughs> totally, dude. Oh, man. You got to go
1: get that slabbed in CGC.
0: Oh, gosh. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I couldn't think of a bigger waste of time.
1: <laughs> Here's another thing uh, a detail that stood out to me during the movie that it kind of it kind of took me out of the movie because it, it made me think about uh, the ramifications of it for a while. Uh-huh. But when Strange and America were captured by the Illuminati and they were just in those see-through containers under observation, and Strange starts talking to that universe's version of Christine Palmer, she mentions that the Earth that Doctor Strange is from is Earth six one six. Right. I don't know. For me, I just thought that's what the comics universe is. You know, like why they have to take that number for for the MCU. Did you think um, that at all, or was it something where you're just like it didn't bother you?
0: Uh, I don't. I I didn't think of it at all. Man. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think. I think for me the or the way that I look at it is uh the you know this quote unquote movie the cinematic universe is supposed to mirror if not ape the, the actual comic book universe as as the prime quote unquote universe right mm-hmm. so if that's the case then yeah they they want their universe to be the 616 or it's it's safe to say that the movie universe is the uh the cinematic representation of our of what we're seeing in the comics as you know as the quote-unquote primary universe now you know i i guess there's a way to to think of it on a higher level where you know if they're all their own thing then they should all have different numbers but uh, yeah i guess i just didn't it didn't really concern me that much Mm Yeah
1: yeah i guess it just stood out to me because i don't know man when i think of the 616 i think of the prime universe which is the comics so yeah for the movies to try and lay claim to that that just makes it confusing now because now when you're saying 616 you could be talking about the comics or you could be talking about the movies
0: yeah and i think in your heart the comics are always going to come first for you anyways oh definitely man yeah, so for them to try to lay claim to that, it's insulting. I see how, yeah, exactly. I can see how that that's that would leave a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah,
1: sure. definitely. Yeah. Here's here's another question. This is something that Shane has posed to us after we all watched the movie. But how did Wanda destroy all of the darkholds across the multiverse?
0: I like. I really just thought it was just magic. Uh, like she just reached out into the. I guess if you really had to come up with an explanation, uh, you could say that Wondagore was kind of the source material or the source for all the Darkholds, right? So maybe she could access Wendagore to reach out into the multiverse and destroy the Darkholds throughout existence, entirety. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's another thing where... I don't think that's the kind of detail that I thought too deeply on or, or too. Yeah. Too, too. I didn't think too hard on it. It was magic. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Another scene that made me question what I was watching was towards the very end of the movie when everything has pretty much been resolved, we see Dr. Strange, back in his universe and he's fixing the watch that christine had given him in the past it was damaged and he was fixing it so you get this real close-up of him using some tools to do what he could to repair it
2: Mm -hmm.
1: now i thought that was strange because in the first movie and you know just knowing what we know about dr strange in general the whole reason why he's dr strange is because he was in an accident that made him lose full precise control of his hands and that's why he couldn't be a neurosurgeon anymore hmm. so to see him working with such a small delicate,
2: with such small tools yeah and working yeah. with
1: delicate pieces that made me scratch my head like how come his hands were steady enough to to do that but You know, he can't be a surgeon anymore.
0: Well, they didn't show you the like hundreds of of other watches that he worked on before that because he can afford to break a bunch of watches. (laughs) But if he does that to patients, he will have killed hundreds of people. Oh, okay that's true that's a good point they didn't show you all the all the hard work and heartache that put that he put into fixing that one watch when there were hundreds of other watches just in the garbage can
1: that that's a good point that's so. a that's a yeah good way to explain that i did not think of that uh, there we go yeah that that totally clears that up for me man thanks you have really <laughs> you have fixed the movie for me.
0: <laughs> I didn't really think about it either, but when you mentioned it, I was like, "Oh, okay. I, I guess that makes sense." Um, it's yeah, that it's it's a core, um, uh, like it's a core tenet of of Doctor Strange's like origin. So to to have that scene, I it does uh, put that whole thing into question, but. Eh. Mhm. it was
2: wizards
1: (laughs) what did you think of the mid-credits scene with Clea
0: I'll be honest um when I first saw her I she is not a, a character that I have thought about too often like I really had to dig deep to try to remember her and even then my my memory of her is pretty foggy, um hmm. but I do remember that she existed, so that's more than I can say for a lot of characters. like I might not have remembered her name, but uh just that image of her, I was like, oh okay i think I think I recognize her. I think I know her right.
1: She's Dr. Strange's primary love interest throughout the comics.
0: I think that's the thing. I just never read that many Doctor Strange comics as, as oh a kid, okay, even as an adult, so um. So there's that. Uh but I do like Charlize Theron a lot and when I did see her in the movie that just solidified in my mind that Marvel as an entity is really making it their mission to have everybody who's ever been in movies be in their movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I mean, I that isn't to say that she's like the bottom of the barrel or anything. By no means. She's she's a huge actress and like I said, I I have like whole lot of affection for her and her work like if
1: anything it's just disney showing their clout to say we can get a big name actress to show up and do this you know eight second cameo yeah just like that
0: i mean my presumption is she's probably gonna do more uh moving forward but
1: yeah most likely
0: but yeah i i didn't really think too much of it um in fact i didn't even know who she was until like you you mentioned her and i just
1: assumed that was clea because she had white hair and she was wearing purple
0: no it makes sense it makes sense yeah
1: yeah, yeah. i mean i'm i'm pretty bad at recognizing uh actors and actresses yeah but that's why uh you, you and chanis realized that was charlize theron right off the bat and yeah uh i didn't know until you told me because i can't remember what she looks like <laughs> unless Unless, you know, I'm looking at a labeled picture of her or something.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> I just... was the last thing I don't you were know, seeing her in? Dude, was she in Aeon Flux? <laughs> she was in Aeon Flux. That was her. That was like, what, that's 20 probably, years ago? <laughs> yeah, but that's probably not the thing that you want to remember her for. <laughs> I guess not, but yeah. I've, She's I guess done I just, a lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure she has. I just, I don't watch as many movies as you and Shayna's do, because I'm not a film buff, so... I'm not great at identifying famous actors and actresses that most people would yeah. be able to. I, yeah. I probably have a better chance of identifying football players without their helmets on, honestly.
0: Pretty impressive, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, it just shows you that I pay more attention to to sports than, than to yeah.
0: actors. I was going to say, like, if, if, uh, if I was a news anchor and I interviewed a football player just walking down the street, I'd probably treat them like they were just a regular Joe. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, maybe I'd treat them like, you know, I'd be shocked because they're really tall, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They they did get over that uh whole third eyeball thing pretty quick though, cause yeah, to have the ending be him like screaming in agony with his third eye, and then to have the next scene just be him like la di da da, let's go have a jaunt in the multiverse, and then have the third eye pop out and be like, here we go.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's an ending. It's not necessarily something that has to be explained yeah, it's not. immediately. It's more just a little teaser for you to, to yeah. use your imagination and, you know, try to think of the possibilities. And also to obviously keep you anticipating the next appearance of the character.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: I did want to talk about America Chavez a little bit. Yeah. We haven't really it. talked too much about her, but she's a character that I really enjoy from the comics. She's a Joe Casey creation. Uh, Joe Casey and Nick Dragada co-created her in a Marvel series called a Marvel miniseries from, I think, I want to say like 2011 or 2012. It was called Vengeance, and it was basically like the culmination of Joe Casey's work in marvel comics like it was only a six issue miniseries but he took all these little fragments and characters and things that he had touched on and created throughout his entire time doing freelance work for marvel and he he used all of that to to do an event comic basically and it's one of the best things that marvel did in the past like 12 or Fifteen years or however long it's been now, I really liked that story, and to see this character come to fruition on the screen was pretty fun. But there was also the news uh, recently uh, about uh, creator compensation, and I th- I thought that was something that is pretty important to to speak on, just because. So many of these movies, these Marvel movies, they're just built on the backs of ideas that have been created by people working in comics for a long time. You know, you could even say people that toiled in comics and they know they don't really get to see or reap the financial rewards of their characters being adapted to to the screen. Yeah, yeah. And and like legally there's no real need for Marvel studios or Disney to, to give them any money because whatever they created for Marvel was work for hire. Right. So Marvel owns it. Disney owns it. There's, there's no, it's not like they're stealing from them in a way, but I think just morally or ethically, it only makes sense to me to, to pay these people. Yeah a good amount of money sure. because these movies are making hundreds of millions of dollars yeah so what what's the problem with giving these creators you know a couple thousand dollars or whatever you know like whatever number is reasonable like a couple hundred thousand bucks for creating a character that made a billion dollars yeah that's yeah. like almost nothing in in from the perspective of the corporation but Ah, uh, recently Joe Casey did give an interview. I think it was it was either with the Hollywood Reporter or Variety. I th- I want to say the Hollywood Reporter, but uh, he he basically came out and talked a little bit about it because America Chavez was one of his co-creations, and he knew that uh, she was going to be in the movie. So he he tells the story of of how he hit up Marvel uh, about it to see if. Uh, he would get any compensation, and you know, long story short, um, you might as well just look up the interview. But basically, he he heard back and and they offered him like a small amount. He didn't exactly specify what that amount was, but he said it was an insulting offer or just you know something that didn't make sense to him. So he he refused it um, because he's not one of those creators that I think is hurting for money. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of comics creators out there that would take that money just because they need it. Obviously, I mean if somebody was going to give you 5,000 bucks for something that you did 10 years ago, why wouldn't you take it? Yeah, yeah. But Joe Casey, he's someone who works in television also. Like he's one of the co-creators of a cartoon series called Ben 10 which ended up becoming a franchise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um I never really watched it because I didn't have Cartoon Network, and I think when that show came out, I was a little bit older than the target audience mm-hmm. but from what I understand, he and the other people in the studio man of action um just other guys they are also guys that work in comics like joe kelly uh I believe Duncan Roeau and Stephen T Siegel mm-hmm. they yeah. all have uh participation in licensing, so like whatever percentage. Or whatever merchandise that uh, Cartoon Network sells based on Ben 10, or whatever products that they put out, those creators get a small percentage. And he was saying, you know, that little percentage goes a long way, and it's it's helped him be able to be successful and and put him in a position where he doesn't have to accept an insulting offer from Marvel.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: But he was he was trying to bring attention to just how a lot of other creators may not necessarily be in that same position and it's it's uh you know something that we've been hearing a little bit more of uh, in recent years as the mcu films continue to be successful and more recent comics continue to be strip mined mm. like when the falcon and winter soldier tv series came out brubaker ed brubaker um who created the, the winter soldier with steve epting he he came out and talked about how the amount of money that he uh, got from creating the winter soldier was less than the amount of money that he gets from his cameo in the winter soldier movie.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Just pretty ridiculous.
0: It's harsh, man. It's, it's like, super
1: harsh, man. It's like yeah. from, from what, we do know about these contracts it seems like the typical offer that that disney gives creators that create a character that is in one of their movies is just five thousand bucks oh Oof. yeah 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 and, and these movies make like 400 500 600 million dollars right yeah and when you talk about the avengers movies that's that's got to be like a billion dollars or something, right? Yeah. It it feels like giving a guy five thousand bucks is just insulting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of the times, uh, these contracts that they make them sign to get the five thousand bucks, it wouldn't surprise me if they come with caveats and stuff that, you know, basically make these creators sign away any like legal. Uh, authority that they might have stuff like that you know
1: Hmm. yeah uh, i mean it, it i guess i mean th- i think people today creators today understand what they're doing yeah that when they create for marvel they don't own these characters yeah but yeah hopefully hopefully um now people will be even more savvy about going about yeah. things and and you know creating things for marvel they'll they'll think about it what you're doing exactly exactly
0: i mean it's it we we saw this when we covered uh the jack kirby comic last week in last week's episode where they were discussing how you know in jack kirby's later years other other creators you know they they saw what was happening to him and they took the cause upon themselves but they also learned from from uh from his experience you know mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. that's something that still sticks with us to this day i'm I'm pretty sure that's why we still see uh quite a few creators who's like you know like brubaker it doesn't surprise me that this is something that he's taken as a cause that's near and dear to his heart you know hmm
1: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and brubaker is another guy who's had a pretty successful career not just in comics but in in writing in general so yeah. i i don't think i don't think it hurts him that marvel isn't giving him more money for the winter soldier
0: yeah. he can afford to not take the money in order to make the point which is yeah hey these guys uh you know what i did for them uh it, it gives them this much and for them to treat the the, the creatives this way it, it, it just shows, um, you know, a lot of disrespect and like lack of care for, for them.
1: Yeah. You know? Yeah. And one of, the, one of the things I remember Case, Joe Casey saying in that interview is that he said, I would never expect to be respected by a corporation.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's essentially the truth. Like, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and I, I think about like other tragic cases, though, like, you know who Bill Mantlow is?
0: Was he the guy who? No, never mind. I don't. I don't. I mean, I'm I'm familiar with the name, but I don't know yeah. the story.
1: So so he was a Marvel writer who did a a bunch of work for Marvel in the 70s and a little bit, and in the 80s. Uh-huh. Um, I guess his most famous stuff would would be stuff like Rom Space Knight. Uh, he had some incredible Hulk stories. Uh, but he also uh co-created. Rocket Raccoon and uh, uh, Cloak and Dagger. Yeah. yeah. But, like, Rocket Raccoon is someone that became pretty popular when those Guardians of the Galaxy movies came out. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And Bill Mantlo, uh, he... Back in... I forget when, like, the early 90s, he got into... Uh, an accident or he was the victim of like a hit and run accident and it, it basically just messed him up for the rest of his life he's just been like bedridden and institutional institutionalized basically so he needs like really specialized care um just to to live and i'm not even sure if like his uh like mentally i'm not sure if he's all uh, he has his acuity yeah like i'm yeah. i'm pretty sure that injury brain damaged him yeah, actually yeah. i'm i'm looking him up right now yeah so like what ended up happening was on july 17th 1992 he was struck by a car while he was rollerblading and it was a hit and run and he and mantlos suffered severe head trauma and although he's no longer in a coma the brain damage he suffered was irreparable and uh, yeah, like, he's got, like, cognitive deficits that have left him unable to reason or understand his situation, and he struggles to daily maintain any control over his own mind. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it this is, like, a super sad story, and I remember um when those Guardians movies were being super successful, like, people were bringing attention to him because it would be nice if like his, he got some money for that. So it would help his pay for his care, you know? Yeah. 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 Like he's, he's like 70 years old now and, uh, just bedridden from the injury and brain damaged. Yeah. And his, his family is probably still struggling to provide proper care. Yeah.
0: It's super sad.
1: Yeah. It's like, you would think that with all the money that those movies make, they could give this guy a little bit.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I remember there were quite a few stories. Like that was, I forget who this other writer was. I want to say like at one point, this guy was like living out of his car and he, uh, what was happening to him? Like he was just still like, busting his ass just trying to work you oh, know are you thinking of
1: uh william messner lobes
0: i think so i think so yeah right? like he was just doing whatever he could just to pay bills but like you know this this guy was is a pretty recognizable name in, in comics especially if you look from a certain like time period and era yeah but he you know he like a lot of writers and artists just kind of one day you're there and one day you're not and then uh you know Next thing I know there's this article about how he's just living out of his car and just you know doing whatever he can to make ends meet and it's it's just kind of a shame that again he he did so much for the comics and uh, for Marvel and not to have you DC know, I DC think he wrote not, a lot
1: for DC yeah
0: oh yeah but not to have like a pension or any sort of retirement for for all yeah. that work That's yeah yeah
1: yeah, it's it's all the that freelance life, you know. Like they these companies yeah. just take advantage of freelancers, so they can get the benefits of their creativity without having to yeah. be concerned with them when they're Why no would longer. Why anyone be doing loyal work. to that? Yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah, we're we're kind of at this point now where there's no reason for anyone who works at Marvel now or DC to create anything for them, you know yeah like you yeah. like people that that work for marvel and dc now the smart thing to do would probably be just to strip mine the stuff that's already been created
2: i mean
0: I but just, that's what, essentially what we're seeing is just yeah the regurgitation of you know a writer gets to work on spider-man for five issues or, or five, for like a couple of years if they're lucky so what do they do they just kind of do their version of the greatest hits over and over again
1: Mm-hmm. and if you think yeah. about it that can get stagnant too. It and does. It, it yeah, absolutely exactly. Does. So it, it's it's just logical that if, if these corporations did treat their creators better,
0: the they comics would benefit from it. be better.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They would benefit from that too, you know? Yeah. There's a way to do it that would benefit the creators, but I guess they just don't care. Yeah. Like at the end of the day,
0: it's far less work to not care than it is to care, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Caring is hard work. Then you have to actually do something.
0: Yeah. Anyways, that's a it's a good point and uh you know it's 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 good that you bring it up, especially when we were discussing Steve Ditko earlier. He's another mm-hmm. guy who was we mentioned him in the previous podcast. He was a guy who was stiffed by Marvel and at the end of the day he, he ended up doing what he wanted his own way but uh yeah i mean i, I don't really know too much about his life after it just after kind of feels that. like
1: if if stan lee and marvel had treated him better maybe we would have gotten even more stuff from him in the 60s and 70s you know
0: yeah yeah absolutely
1: i mean he he did end up going back to marvel for work here and there he created um
0: speedball did he
1: yeah, he created Speedball, he created Squirrel Girl. Yeah. You know, that was that was well after the silver age, so you know, he still made contributions to to Marvel Comics. It's just I don't know, like it it, it still feels like we missed out on what he could have done in his prime, you know? Yeah, in terms of Marvel That's Comics. Real. Or, at least Mar- maybe maybe I mean, we didn't necessarily miss out on it, but Marvel missed out on it, you know? Yeah, I'm still doing yeah. other comics. Yeah, for
2: sure. Ugh. Well, comics will break your heart. They will, man. They will. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: Did you? Is there laugh? anything else about the movie that uh, you wanted to talk about now that we're off our soapbox? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I didn't want to go over an idea that you had uh that we were texting about before uh before we started the podcast which which was uh you know surrounding the themes and the plots around this. Uh, I think when we initially came out of the movie it felt like there really wasn't anything much to it. Yeah. But it seems like you've molded over quite a bit since since then and uh you did come up with something that i do think uh upon scrutiny does hold up and i i do think that the movie is about something and there's uh there's evidence that there's an arc here Mm -hmm. uh, yeah so i'm just kind of curious to to hear what what your thoughts were
1: yeah yeah so after we watched the movie like you said initially um we walked out and you, Shainis, and I were just chit-chatting about it. And yeah, in the the moment last night, I I don't think I had any real thoughts about the depths of the story or anything. Like it didn't really, I was trying to think about what the story was saying and nothing was really coming to me. So I guess earlier today, you know, slept on it and, and then try to think a little bit about what the story was about. I guess what I came up with was just viewing this story as something that talks about what it means to not get what you want. Yeah. And, yeah, I I think I see that in few different characters in in the in the film like with Doctor Strange it's pretty clearly understood that he still loves Christine but he he lied to her when she asked him if he was happy and you know he it, it seems like what he wanted in an ideal universe was not only to save the universe from Thanos but, also, to be with the woman that he was in love with, and you know, supposedly that would make him happy, yeah, but she ended up marrying somebody else, and he continued on with his superheroics and his roles as his role as a powerful sorcerer. and And then you get this whole adventure in the movie where he helps America. Uh, try to run from Scarlet Witch, and it, it's it's almost like he's got no control over the situation, and he's just trying to to survive basically. And then when he meets uh, these other versions of himself and and the other uh, reality as well, and the other version of Christine, I guess that kind of Opens up his eyes in a way to see. Maybe not exactly what could have been because those Doctor Stranges ended up alone too. But it. I think seeing the Doctor Strange where he had the one that he had the fight with with the music stuff.
0: Doctor Strange.
1: Yeah, that one. Yeah, it, it seemed like that that helped him. I think there's a way to to read this text and see it as him, as the prime Doctor Strange, realizing that just because you don't get everything that you want doesn't mean that you have to go down a dark path.
0: Yeah. 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 I Listening to you talk about it, I'd happen to agree uh, that there were a lot of indicators throughout the film just about how Doctor Strange, just as a character throughout the multiverse, they're constantly referring to the fact that he's this character who's incapable of that sort of flexibility, incapable of change, and ultimately the the unifying destructive force throughout all the universes, more so than something like the Scarlet Witch, right? Mm-hmm. and they talk about how it, a line that they keep bringing up is how dr strange is the person he he's a surgeon but he's the person that always has to make the cut you know this idea that he's inflexible and incapable of changing uh you know whatever he's his control goals. freak he's a control freak right mm-hmm. so to finally come to this point um you know right at the beginning of the movie we see that america chavez is with this other doctor strange and even though he's a hero when her life when when the threat of her power going to uh this being is about to happen wh- what's his one decision is uh, his decision is that he has to take the power upon himself because nobody else can be trusted with it and to see that she's Resigned that america is resigned to this belief that any dr strange that she comes into contact with is going to is going to behave the same way and when we get to the final sequence of the movie she succumbs to that thinking where she 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 says that she's willing to die and she's willing to give these powers to dr strange of it'll end all this destruction Mm -hmm. and that's his redeeming arc in that moment. He decides, you know, hey, he, he, like, I'm going to let go of this. And it's like you said, um, sometimes it's best not to be in control. It's best not to get what you want. And it's best to let things play out, you know? Yeah. Or
1: at the very least, you just have to accept that there are things that you cannot control.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And he ends up giving control to uh america and letting her use her power and you know like most marvel films she ends up finding her full potential mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. it's it's kind of uh that what's it called that that stock uh disney message but um yeah i mean that's that's i i do think that as a concept or as, as a theme it's it was certainly more memorable than the first dr strange movie like i'd mm-hmm. really have to watch that again but i really don't remember there being much of a I, i'm you know what I, i'm sure that there had it had to be about something uh beneath it all but i really don't remember <laughs>
1: Yeah, I only watched it the one time in the theater and haven't gone back to it since, so it's not yeah. really sharp in my memory. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. you were saying just now, though, about America, did make sense because um, I think even in her arc, you see a little bit of the theme play out. Uh, just you know, the, the idea of what it means to not get what you want, and what she wants throughout the movie is is to be able to control her powers and to find her mom's. Yeah. And she's not really able to do that until the very end. And I think, yeah, you can make a pretty fair argument
0: that... But even then, she doesn't find her mom or, you know, get what she wants, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to say that even when she does figure out how to control her powers, it the only thing that really triggers it is dr strange giving her some inspiring words and then <laughs> you know some positive thinking gives yeah. her the motivation and ability to control her powers and level up basically you know it's kind of that typical in anime trope yeah
2: yeah absolutely
1: where positive thinking and enough belief and seeing somebody's uh seeing somebody else's belief in the character gives the character the strength to to triumph over something that was uh too tough for them before so it it's interesting to see that she was able to gain some measure of control over her powers but it wasn't like that alone gave her everything that she wanted you know like she she couldn't figure out how to necessarily return to where her uh her parents were or you know find them yeah it was it was more just she was able to overcome one obstacle and because of because of that there's tomorrow yeah yeah so it's just the idea that i guess you keep on living and if you if you have some hope then it's never Never really over, I guess.
0: It ain't over till it's over. It ain't over till it's over, baby. This is Marvel.
1: Where's Shoemagorath
0: at? Uh, Yeah. And I did like what you had to say about how Wanda was essentially a foil for Doctor Strange and Mm -hmm. the idea that, um, you know, she's another character who's incapable of accepting the world as it is. Mm-hmm. um yeah i i hadn't considered that but that that is a good observation i uh you know i certainly feel like there's more meaning to this than i had initially thought yeah
1: yeah she you was dr strange's foil because she wasn't content with reality and it led her on a dark path yeah with a lot of dead bodies in her way
0: intent on changing it yeah on, on and, forcing the world to be the way she wanted it to be
1: yeah, yeah, she ended up killing a bunch of people, and eventually just led to her own self-destruction. Yeah, until you know she comes back in another movie or show. Yeah, but, you know, for at the moment, she's dead because yeah. she just walked down this dark path. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's interesting to see how Wanda and America kind of work as counterpoints to Doctor Strange because I think with America we see. We see her as somebody who uh if anything, she seems like a little bit more okay about not getting what she wants, you know, because she's she's sort of made her peace. You know, she yeah. she doesn't have control, but she's not, you know, gonna kill herself or anything. She's just trying to survive. Yeah. And it's just that that Wanda's after her, so she doesn't really have we don't really spend the time to see her reflect, but it. I feel like we can infer that she clearly doesn't want to die. Like, if she if she felt that reality had nothing for her, then why wouldn't she just let Wanda catch her? Yeah, so, absolutely. So to me, that that just means that she still has this uh, will to survive. Yeah. yeah, drive to live. So, um, it yeah she she kind of illustrates the idea that even if you don't have what you want in life, there's no reason to to just give up on life.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And and Doctor Strange kind of learns that lesson by the end of the movie too. Like the little scene at the end, the little bit of dialogue that he has with Wong when they're fixing up the, the monastery and all the students are training. And yeah, they, they have this short conversation about, what it means to be happy and i i can't remember the exact words anymore yeah but what i got out of it was that uh even if reality isn't what you wanted it to be eventually you just have to learn how to be satisfied with it Mm. yeah yeah so I, i think the movie does have some interesting things to say about contentment and how you respond to your circumstances. Maybe it's, maybe it's all a little bit undermined with the amount of spectacle and some of the more tiresome uh, plot points or action sequences, or, you know, just the typical Marvel house style. Mm -hmm. But at the very least it it did give me those things to think about
2: after watching it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I also wanted to mention one other thing, um, you know, not quite nothing quite so profound, but just in terms of something about the movie that I did like. Mm-hmm. Um, so going into the movie, I felt like there was a lot of talk about who the villain was going to be. There's, you know, there's mm-hmm. always kind of this idea mm-hmm. of who the villain is going to be. And I I don't know, maybe I'd read it somewhere. Uh, you know, you like thought it was going to be a Nightmare. Yeah, I thought it was going to be Nightmare, right? Or so, Mephisto. Or Mep- <laughs> exactly. It was Agatha then, all along. There was even a part of me that thought that that could potentially be the case. Like we would but, learn that it wasn't Wanda, it was Agatha. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, for there was a brief second where, okay, well, let me go into it. But uh, yeah, so this whole time I'm I'm just kind of waiting for it because it, it almost felt like the way that they had uh marketed the movie was that oh this is going to be about how uh wanda and dr strange are going to go travel through the multiverse as buddies and they're going to solve some problems right yeah it's like the
1: magical version of the falcon and the winter soldier
0: yeah something like that right buddy film yeah but it uh for them to make it so that Wanda herself was the villain. I thought that was actually a pretty interesting choice. I thought it was a good choice. Yeah, me Um, too.
1: I like that. They made her straight up the antagonist.
0: Yeah, because the last time we see her is at the end of uh, WandaVision. And, you know, my impression after all that was you know spoilers for WandaVision was that she had done some things wrong because you know she got caught up in the heat of her grief in the in the in the moment from her grief right and Mm -hmm. she acted out but uh you know my impression of the ending was that she learned her lesson and that she was gonna now take these powers and you know do some good with them so uh if not good then she was going to take these powers and uh you know make right or whatever but mm-hmm. but to see her just straight up being the antagonist that that took me by surprise and you know it's i didn't think that was different enough where you know she was still it just showed that she wasn't completely healed from her ordeal and yeah yeah and but there was that scene where Professor X enters her mind and, you know, he tries to reason with her. And there's this version of Wanda that's in there that's, you know, beneath the, the rubble and all that. So mm-hmm. I thought that was going to be this thing where it was like, oh, she's not really in control of her situation. Uh, and it's not really her fault, which I would think is a cop out it's a cop-out it's pretty weak I'm, I'm not a fan of those sorts of endings so or, or that sort of a revelation i'd much rather that you know she
1: it was wanda admit, all along
0: yeah it was wanda all along she admit to what she did wrong and you know uh live with with her her failings Mm-hmm. so
1: yeah uh, i agree with that yeah
0: yeah It'll be hard to. It'll be. I don't know. Time will only tell how how this ends up playing. Like I don't think she's. Quote unquote I doubt dead. it's the last we've seen of her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I, I doubt it as well. So I don't. Uh, yeah. I, it'll be. Yeah, we'll we'll see how this whole play whole thing plays out and yeah. whether she. Like I really hope it doesn't become a thing where it's like, oh, she was possessed by, you know, a mind controlling jelly bean or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Mephisto uh,
1: was controlling her. Yeah, the dark
0: possessed her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't need that. But yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: And I I do wonder if uh for the general public if if they were bothered by her portrayal or her heel turn. Like I wonder if if I don't know, it's one of those things where she's got a lot of blood on her hands now, you know? Like she you've yeah. seen her straight and she's up not
0: redeeming herself.
1: Yeah. Like we've <laughs> she, seen her straight up murking people and um just the stuff that she's done, it it's hard to be like, Oh, uh you killed all these people in this other reality, so they don't count. Um yeah.
0: you know like <laughs> <laughs> she keeps telling herself that it's a different reality. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I feel yeah. like
1: if they do bring her back and if they do uh, try to redeem her character and give her a, another face turn, it, it feels like they You're would still have to have... do some
0: mental gymnastics. and yeah. make sense of it. But, but here's the other thing. That,
1: yeah. yeah but, but here's the other thing I was thinking about that too, is like we see that happen in superhero comics all the time. And we've we've specifically seen that happen with Scarlet Witch in the comics. And it doesn't make sense in the comics. You just have to accept it because the explanations they come up with are always dumb. Yeah. So I wonder how that's going to play out with the the MCU audience or if they're even going to try and redeem her. Like if they just leave her as a villain, I I think that would probably make the most sense. But I wonder if people will be upset because they view her as a hero or want to view her as a hero
0: thing is how so much of marvel uh nowadays is about uh uh you know uh investing in the next generation of heroes and uh people moving on there might be a thing where scarlet witch will pass on she might die a hero that could be her final arc her redemption could be that's true. The, the final arc before she dies. And then, you know, they either get a new actor to replace her or they create a new character.
1: Uh, we'll, we'll just have our kids become young Avengers.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. And so then you
1: can see can... them act even more. You can hear them sing songs.
0: Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. this sounds <laughs> tedious. <laughs> oh, actually, I... I did
1: think of a question I forgot to ask you earlier. Yeah. So how come... So you know how in the main reality... The Scarlet Witch's kids were just constructs of her own powers. Do you think the kids in the other realities are real kids?
2: Uh,
0: so here's the thing with you know alternate universes, uh, you know, since anything is possible, like Kevin Garnett said, <laughs> um. You know, since anything is possible, there's very likely a universe that exists out there where there they do exist as real flesh and blood children that aren't uh you know uh, uh constructs from black magic. Mhm. So chaos so magic, chaos th- whatever. Chaos <laughs> magic.
1: <laughs> I'm being so pedantic about it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, but Exactly. So <laughs> there's,
1: there's no one else I can be like that
0: with, you know. <laughs> no one else is gonna get it. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Okay. But yeah. Exactly. So I I do think that there's a version of them that does exist out there that isn't just uh some some weird um uh, non-existing magic children so yeah that's my answer to that Does, mm-hmm. yeah how does that sit with you
1: yeah i guess i can accept it anything is possible so for all we know in yeah those alternate realities like specifically the one that we spend the most time in uh that maybe that one those kids are her her actual kids that yeah. she gave birth to
0: yeah i mean they went to a universe where they were made out of paint that's true that's true so you know clearly the rules of the alternate universes that exist for them is anything goes you
1: know were you disappointed that we didn't see an alternate vision as the their father
0: i kind of was yeah it's 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 all part of the package of her delusion is it's not just that she misses her kids or at least as it was established in um in WandaVision, it just felt like it was the idea that she didn't have the total package, which was the you know, the kids and the the you know, and the husband and the perfect life
2: Mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. So
0: yeah. So I guess it was Agatha all along. You got any final thoughts?
1: Nope. I think I've exhausted all the thoughts I had on the movie. So yeah, yeah, I'm in a good place now.
0: Yeah. Uh, You know, it's, we, we spent a good amount of time on it. Uh,
1: We spent more time talking about this movie than watching the movie. Yeah. Podcast is longer than the movie, man.
0: (laughs) I probably uh, spent more time thinking about the movie. Right now, in this uh, in this couple of hours that we were talking about it, and then I did as I was watching it.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. Well, let's close
2: up shop. Were you about to uh, do your sign off?
0: Oh, did you say your goodbye?
1: I, I i did not say goodbye yet i was i was waiting for you to do your oh. usual spiel oh uh oh okay yeah well,
0: sorry <laughs> <all right. laughs> i i was waiting for your reaction but anyways keep this all in drew take none of it out <laughs> 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 Um, yeah so if you uh have any thoughts on uh dr strange in the multiverse of madness feel free to hit us up on our uh, instagram at between the gutters or you can hit us up on our email at between the gutters podcast at gmail.com. Or you can uh, tweet at us at BetweenTheGutters. Reach out to us in one of the various ways. Uh, if you can uh, rate our podcast, that'd be great. You know, it'd be great for the algorithm and share it with, uh, you know, the world, other people that might value our judgments. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks for spending time with us. Bye. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening, everybody. Peace out. I might have to do a little bit of editing because that was a pretty long pause.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>